Hello, everyone. Welcome to, finally, the second season of Oconus the Contractor's Life. And what a wild ride it's been. I uh, don't need to go any further than that. Everybody knows. <laughs> from, the north, from the northwestern foothills of Washington State, everybody, I'm your host, Scott Dresser. So lots of little to moderately big changes with Oconus the Contractor's Life, namely... Uh, now have an audio and a video version of the show. Uh, and in both cases, most of the episodes will be short, uh, or at least shorter than the previous season's audio-only episodes, on average, at least that's the plan. So uh, while there will be plenty, perhaps even ample episodes of guests, uh, the episodes will also aim to revolve around my experiences as a private security contractor uh, while working overseas, because that's come up a lot. Uh, so starting with, uh, with the moment that some, and so this whole thing when, uh, after today, uh, the later, when, when we start the audio only, it, it'll be that moment that a guy I worked with approached me and said, Hey, Scott, you ever thought about being a private security contractor? <laughs> I mean, that's almost always the way it starts, right? And, uh, anyway. So more of that stuff later. For now, I want to turn uh, our attention to this season's inaugural episode, a video cast episode of that. My guest for this inaugural episode is Mr. Ken Gucci Guchnauer. And we call him Gucci because he is expensive, folks. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> he's a good dude. He's a friend. He's a brother in arms, patriot, and, uh, and all that stuff. So, But he is a former member of the United States Army. I won't muddy the waters and do any missteps. I will now turn that part of it over to my guest, Ken Gucci. Uh, Ken, my brother and friend, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks, Scott. I appreciate it, and it's really good to be here. Uh, you got some good stuff going on, so I really, really do appreciate it. Well, thank you. Likewise, man. Uh, I, again, I haven't watched enough of your episodes. You got so many of them you pumped out there in such a short span of time, and I was working every day for a month just recently, and it's like, oh, crap, you know. Anyway, uh so, uh, Ken, uh, you know, a lot of your listeners, and, and Ken, you have your own podcast, and it is Wienerfied, right? Wienerfied.com, exactly. And I, I'm, a, I'm one of these controversial guys, right? I'm not, I'm not one of these, uh, you know, light talkers. I mean, I'm, I, I get pretty controversial with a lot of my content. So um, it's actually a little more difficult for me to find, you know, people who are receptive to having me on as guests and likewise. And so, you know, this is where... I owe you such a, great, a, a debt of gratitude for the times that you came on and, and been on my episodes. I truly appreciate that. Wow. Um, so well, I'm here an for honor, you. man. Well, thank you. And I appreciate that. But I consider that an honor. And I think it's like so many things uh, in this world, in this life. It, you know, we just got to help each other out there. You know, it's like, why not? Why wouldn't I? You yeah. Know, I'd love to, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm honored and flattered. Um so, uh, so wienerfight.com that's, uh, they can find it just by simply typing wienerfight.com, but you, but your host is through rumble, right? Well, yeah, I use rumble as my, as my podcast platform, but obviously I've, you know, my website is mine and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, you know, rumble just happens to, cause I got kicked off YouTube. I mean, YouTube, they won't even let me post a video on there anymore. No way. Yeah. I mean, they completely, yeah. I mean, I, and here's the thing I, on rumble, I just hit a hundred subscribers last night. But I've had over 10,000 video views on Rumble, so I don't really know how it all works yet. Just like my wow. website, my, my website has had 12,000 hits, and I've, I've just started this four months ago. So, I mean, it's, wow. it's, it's going pretty well. It's just I don't understand some of the, 
the mechanisms of it all and you know everything but i'm figuring it out little by little and i'll tell you uh joe rogan's not the only one that's got good content you know what i mean so <laughs> i uh, hear you i do uh, so so your your listeners the people that are, that tune into your your show they know who you are and about you and if they don't it's only because they tune out or they don't want to know because you're right. out there i mean you're yeah. out there kind of like me i mean it's like people at, at certain platforms they start asking me the stupidest questions and and i i try to be tactful but it's like mm. did you read my profile it's all there yeah. the questions <laughs> you're asking are right there yeah <laughs> you know well and, and i'll i'll kind of say it like this i mean obviously you know it's kind of like being in business right you can't please everybody right. um you know it, it's it's kind of like getting online reviews or anything like that you know i mean uh it, the the people out there that kind of want to be vindictive and 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 kind of hurt you they're going to try their best to do it any way they can so i really don't even focus on those kind of people i i just really just kind of do my own thing and and don't worry what anybody else thinks about it um right. you know and even in in private business that's that's done pretty well for me i'm expecting that as our society kind of becomes a little less pc because I think we've hit a boiling point. I really do. And I, I, I think now we're actually going to start seeing a trend where people are actually going to be able to take some criticism a little bit easier and not get so defensive over things that they don't like to hear. And, you know, that's, that's technically what we're all about is, is that freedom of expression and that freedom of, of speech and, and stuff like that, you know? So, um, you know, it's kind of like our good friend uh, that we have, you know, I'll, I'll just do a quick plug for him. You know, the, uh, uh, oh, I can't even think of the name, but it put, uh, patrol base, right. That, that oh, yeah. website, patrol yeah, yeah, base, yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. We um, both know the same dude. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, he's a, a perfect example of somebody who's, who's tired of dealing with like these Facebook and Twitter type of, of social media platforms. So he took it upon himself to build one that doesn't restrict our speech and our, right. you know, our freedom of expression. And that's what we need to see more of in this country is we need to see more people that are really tired of, of, of this, this Twitter verse, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and they're brave enough to actually put their voices out there. And that's all I'm trying to do. Some people don't like the tone. Uh, you know, they say the tone makes the music. And so, you know, I, I tell people that there's enough musicians out there that if they don't like the tone, they can go find different music. <laughs> it's that simple. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like the old days. Uh, I don't know about your parents probably told you something similar. Well, if you don't like it, change the channel. All right. You know, sticks and stones. I mean, you we know? grew up with that, you know, sticks yeah. and stones. And yeah. I, I don't know how we've gotten to a point in this in this country where people have forgotten that simple basic lesson but uh you know i, I do think that we're at, at, at the top of the peak and i think we're getting ready to start coming back down because i think people are tired of being so pc i really do and so my audience the whole point of this whole long spiel was that that my audience is really a very specific group of people and i get this comment a lot people people always tell me they say well you're not going to convince anybody with the way you talk i'm not trying to convince anybody i'm simply trying to find like-minded people who agree with, with my same perspective. You know right. what I mean? I'm not right. trying to convince anybody. Right. Well, yeah. Um, well, and, and this is one of those axioms and it's probably been said a lot, but my dad used to say a lot of stuff frequently to me. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but he, one of the things he would say is Scott, a person convinced against their will is of the same opinion still. 
Yep. And, and, and yep. the first, the first however many times you said is like, yeah, yeah, whatever. It didn't make any sense. Whatever. Years yep. later you start, it's like, Oh, I get yep. it. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, it, it, it's the naysayers, the, the haters, whatever you, you can be as articulate as you want. Mm-hmm. You can make lay out a great argument and you can be spot on every point. But if the person's for whatever reason, doesn't want to buy it or believe it or go, they won't. That's, yeah. you know, so you can't convince somebody that doesn't want to be convinced. Yep. Well, yeah, my dad used to say you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Right. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, I grew up with the philosophy that, uh, you know, put enough nine millimeters to its head and it'll drink. But <laughs> <laughs> but but it, it really is like that. You know, people are, are you know, when we look at, at, at psychology and all this kind of stuff, people they're only going to believe what they allow themselves to believe. And yeah, you know, it doesn't matter if we're talking religion, politics, you know, social issues. It doesn't matter. You know, people are products of their environment and people that are sensitive. You, you, you can't argue with a liberal, right. Or you can't argue with a person that doesn't have the ability. And I'll even say this about some old Uber conservative people. Right. It, to me, it's, it's the same pendulum. You know, it's just it depends on which side you're on. But at the end of the day, you can't argue with somebody that doesn't want to learn. That's true. It's true. Um, it, it, and it's similar thing with with schooling, the education system, regardless yep. of what grade you're at. Uh, you know, you're in kindergarten or you're in, uh, I guess it would be 16th grade if you're like a, uh, if, or if you're in college, you know, <laughs> right, and you're a yeah. senior in college. Right. 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 Uh, you know, if, if, if you don't want to learn, you know, I mean, professors teachers should say what are you doing in my class yeah. <laughs> you know this is not a required class it's an elective class <laughs> required class we kind of got it but still you know but the yeah. electives um but hey before i forget uh for the people that are listening that don't know ken that don't want that won't or for whatever don't want to take the time to find out who you are <laughs> can 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 you start at the at, at, at the beginning yeah uh what your story is who you are what you did and 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 how you got to where you're at now sure no problem uh i, I mean i actually think it's kind of important for for people to hear my my origins as, as far as where i was born and where i grew up i actually was born on our family farm in montana that we've owned we've owned this farm since 1903 hmm. uh 8, acres of, of wheatland up in uh, north montana wow and so i grew up you know, literally, even though it was, you know, in the late seventies and early eighties, I grew up with that, with like that masculinity type of, you know, like that raw Clint Eastwood type of, you know, riding horses and stuff like that kind of mentality. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, our, our, when I say I was born on the farm, I mean, I was literally born on the farm. My, my, my grandmother uh, was basically like my mother's uh, nurse. And so me and all of my siblings were literally born on the farm. We didn't have a doctor. We didn't have any of that stuff. And yet we all lived. Um, <laughs> but I mean, seriously, you know, we had, we had grizzly bears and wolves and stuff like that growing up. And I mean, my dad, my dad was a Vietnam guy. He was a Navy guy. My grandpa was a world war II guy. Uh, and the family farm had just been passed down for many generations. Uh I could go into the whole history of it. We're literally in the history books at a, at a place mm. called Dead Indian Cooley, where my great, great, great grandfather won that land in a poker game. And when he got there, there was there was a tribe of, of Indians still living there. And the U.S. Cavalry came in and killed them all. Now, I'm not very happy about that story, but 
my mother is a uh, Crow Indian, so it doesn't bother me to talk about it because obviously my, my mother's side and everything. But hmm. anyway, uh, about 10 years old, uh, we left Montana and moved to Washington State where uh, I continued growing up on a uh, cattle feed lot. So I grew up around, you know, basically ranching and farming. I was, I was mostly agricultural, you know, country boy kind of thing, uh, you know, driving pickup trucks at 10 years old. And, you know, I've had dirt bikes and motorcycles and stuff since about the age of six. I've had I've owned a gun since I was six years old. I remember the day my grandpa bought me a 22 rifle <laughs> that I used to go out when I was six years old. And I used to go out and shoot gophers and rattlesnakes and all that kind of stuff. Hmm. So I had a much different upbringing than the average American kid in the 1980s. Um, for sure. I had a, you know, here again, I mean, I, you know, I was driving myself to school at about 12 years old, wow. you know, things like that. Um, I went to a private country school until fourth grade. And then I went to city public school when we moved to Washington from fifth, sixth, seventh and eighth grade. In sixth grade, I broke my neck in a motorcycle accident, and I was paralyzed. Um, I was paralyzed for about six months, and I couldn't walk for about 18 months, but I missed my entire sixth grade year. I was basically laying on my parents' couch uh, in a, in a full-body neck brace. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. So I was completely paralyzed, but I, I, I was determined. Um, and like I said, about six months into it, I was able to start feeling my feet. And about 18 months into it, I was actually able to get up and start walking around. So, damn. Um, well, what did you do to break your neck? I got into a motorcycle accident. Well, it was actually a quad, a four-wheeler accident. I, I, I hit a rock in the road and it made the four-wheeler start bouncing and jumping all over. And it, the, the rack that goes across the back seat, the little bar, when it flipped over on top of me, it hit me right in my neck. And just, yeah, I mean, it. Uh, I wasn't wearing a helmet or anything like that. And it, it, it just about killed me. Um, but with the, you know, with, with the grace of God and willpower and all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, I was able to pull through that. Um, I started getting into a lot of trouble. Basically I ran away from home at about 14 and I raced supercross motorcycle all up and down the West coast with some friends hmm. that were much older than me. And I was gone for about a year, um, and I ended up breaking my ankle in Portland, Oregon. And when I had, when my friends dropped me off at the hospital, by this point I was 15, and by that point uh, my my parents had no idea where I was at for about a year. And so the hospital called my parents. I had to give them my parents' information, and my dad came and got me that night from Central Washington. Well, I grew up in Central Washington around. Moses Lake area. If you know yeah. the place called George Washington. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So George, like, like there, there, you got George and then you got Quincy, Wenatchee, Moses Lake. So that's, that's the area that I grew up right there in. Okay. Um, and like I said, we had a, we had a cattle feed lot, so we, we had a lot of land, but anyway, uh, yeah, when my dad found me in Portland, I was 15. And so he basically gave me a choice. He said, look, man, you can either, uh, go back to Montana and live with your grandparents, or I'm going to call your, cause I was on probation. And he said, I'm going to call your probation officer and you can spend the rest of your teenage years in juvenile detention. Mm. So I went ahead and packed my bags that night. And my dad drove me to Montana that night. Huh. Uh, and uh, he, he, he took me to court and he literally 
emancipated me. He got me legally emancipated at 15. And he, he basically said, uh, so, so this is like 1994 or 1995, somewhere in there. So yeah, basically he was like, uh, you know, don't call, don't write. It's been good knowing you, but, uh, <laughs> but see you later. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, the, the, the truth is, is that I was doing dumb stuff. I mean, I'd right. already been kicked out of school. I had gotten into a, uh, I'd gotten into a gang fight two weeks into my ninth grade year. I had gotten into a gang fight, uh, there in Quincy at the Quincy high school and they, they put me in the hospital. I mean, they, yeah, they, they messed me up pretty good. I mean, it was, it was me against 20, 21 Mexicans and they won. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, oh, they man. stabbed me. Yeah. They stabbed me in my stomach. They broke three ribs. They broke my jaw. That, that's why my, most people don't know this, but my teeth are this way because when, the, I mean, they broke my jaw, I, I had to have a wire in my jaw for like six months. Uh, yeah, they punctured my ear. I mean, it was just, it was a bad beating, man. I had to go to the hospital in the ambulance again. Um, and yeah. anyway, all of these events, all of these chains of events. And the only reason I even tell people about this stuff, it's not to brag, believe me, because I was a punk ass kid. Um, and, and the story doesn't end here. I mean, there's still more to it, but everything that was happening in my life, you know, from the minute I broke my neck and there was a reason why things went the way they did. I mean, you know, I don't really want to get into too much of that, but let's just say, uh, my mother was not the most loving mother out there. Hmm. Uh, and my dad was never home. My dad had become a, uh, even though we still had the, the feedlot, my dad was basically doing a long haul trucking by that point. So anyway, um, there was just a lot of things going on in a young, you know, I, I didn't have that male influence that I needed. Right. I didn't have the motherly, you know, I just, there was a lot of things going on. I was hanging around much older kids that were doing dumb things. And, you know, uh, here again, people are products of their environment. Right. And so it was all I knew. So anyway, when my dad kicked me out and got me emancipated and sent me to Montana, it, it, I didn't realize it then. I mean, it, it caused a lot of anger and a lot of hostility, but it was probably the best thing that could have ever happened. Um, of course I met a girl, my grandparents, I didn't last long out there. I mean, they, they kicked me out pretty quickly too. Hmm. Um, so I was living in town. I had a, I had an old 79 Camaro that I had traded my dirt bike for. And I was kind of living out of the back of that and, you know, staying at some cousin's house here and there and some friends's house here and there. And of course I met a girl and got her pregnant. So, uh, when I turned 16, I was, I was legally emancipated. So, I mean, I had full, you know, adult, you know, I mean, mm. everything, you know, I mean, I was working menial jobs on farms, just trying to kind of survive and stuff. And so we had the kid at 16 and I went ahead and married her. She was 18. I was 16. And my life was in such chaos all the time. And then one day I just happened to be walking through a mall in great falls, Montana. And this big old army ranger recruiter came walking up to me and said, Hey man, have you ever thought about joining the army? Now keep in mind, I didn't have a high school diploma. All I had was a, was a GED. Hmm. And you know, I mean, I, I told the dude, I said, man, what can you do to get me out of this town? What can you do to, you know, what, what can my life become? And he sat me down and he, he said, look, man, he said, your life can become whatever the hell you want it to be. And you know, to this day, his little speech that he gave me, I mean, I know he was just doing his, his recruiter job, 
but there was something there was a connection there that right. I had never really known before. Right. And, mm. and even though I'd been around a lot of military, like I said, my dad was a Vietnam guy. My grandpa was, most of my uncles were in the military at one time or another. And, but this recruiter, so he asked me, he said, well, how old are you? I said, well, I'm 16. He said, okay, well, you can't join until you're 17. He said, you know, you're, you're, you know, he knew the story that I was emancipated and everything. And, he was like, well, when do you turn 17? And I said, man, in three weeks, I turned 17. Hmm. And so, you know, he was like, well, I'll tell you what, in three weeks, I want to get you down and take the ASVAB test and see what we can do. And so three weeks later, he came to my door. He came, literally, he came. He said, I'm going to take you down to Butte, Montana, which is like a four or five hour drive. Wow. He said, I'm going to take you down. I mean, it was, it was the day after my birthday. Hmm. And, uh, <laughs> He took me down there. I ended up scoring. I ended up getting a, a 117 GT score, which is, you know, I mean, for somebody that didn't do a single year of high school and didn't, st- I mean, I was pretty proud of that. <laughs> right? right. And so 117 GT, and he was like, dude, when do you want to go? I, I huh. said, when, I, I said, when can you get me gone? He said, I, I can have you shipped out tomorrow. I said, all right, bet let's do it. Wow. And so that day he took me back to great falls, Montana. I signed the paperwork. Um, and the next day I was on a plane. And so, Damn. you know, I, I, I can tell everybody this, I can tell, and, and, you know, obviously, I mean, I, you know, I went to Fort Benning and did all that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I did a basic and then I did jump school. Um, my initial contract was to, I, I had the Ranger option. So I was supposed to become an airborne Ranger. I was supposed to get sent back to Fort Lewis, Washington. Uh, what happened is, is I got put onto holdover status. They didn't have enough Ranger slots. So they basically asked me, they're like, Hey man, what do you want to do? I said, man, just get me out of here. Get me someplace, get me away from Fort Benning, right? Get me away from the holdover <laughs> barracks where I was doing KP duty every single day. Um, so they did, they sent me to Korea and Korea, uh, Korea was life-changing. Hmm. Korea was the most life-changing experience. So I was 17 years old. All of a sudden I was, you know, it, it was legal for me to drink and do all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Nobody ever ID'd me. You know, and, and it's like, man, I mean, that that trajectory changed my entire life. Hmm. And so long story short, I know I've been talking for a minute and I didn't mean to go on this long, but but the, I, I, I had a great time in the army, uh, hmm. the, uh, the army. Uh, so I did my first three years. And what happened was, is I got sent back to Savannah, Georgia. Um, I ended up going to SFAS, uh, Special Forces Selection um assessment and selection and then i went to phase one of the qualification course back then they had three phases i think nowadays i think they got five or six phases but anyway Mm. i got hurt i shattered my ankle at fort bragg out at camp mccall i shattered my ankle so the army basically gave me a couple of choices they they basically and so i at this point i'd done three years um they they told me i could basically either get out or i could reclass to a non-combat mos so at that point i actually chose to get out um, I moved to Salt Lake City, Utah. I was working as an electrician. I ended up marrying this German girl that I knew. And <laughs> so I was not in the army. I was just a civilian. I had done my first three years mm. and this chick ended up getting deported back to Germany. Whoa. Yeah. So I had been out of the army at that point for almost two years, but I was like, uh, you know, I went over to Germany for a little bit and I tried to do the civilian thing over there with the work visa and that whole nine, you know, and it just was not a good 
alternatives. So I came back. Uh, that that's when she actually came back with me. That's when she got deported. At first, she was living with me in Salt Lake City, and she was going back and forth. It, and it it just was messed up. But I re-enlisted back into the army hmm. specifically to get sent to Germany. And then huh. a week, yeah. And then a week later, nine eleven happened. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yeah, so so is, that, was, is that where the fun begins? Well, yeah, that's when I actually started hating the army, but you know, <laughs> uh, you know, it was just, it was a crazy thing. I mean, you know, me and her were not a good match. So here again, you know, I mean, obviously Iraq happened and I went to Iraq and then I came back to Germany all, all together. I spent about seven years in Germany. Wow. Um, so three of those years were in the army and then, well, okay. So six years. Cause one of those years was in Iraq. When I came back from Iraq in 2004, we were, we were one of the first units to deploy. I was actually sent on advance party to Iraq. Uh, so the war started on March 22nd, 2003. I mean, I was in Baghdad by March 28th. Wow. So, you know, I mean, we were, we were really there to kind of help set up a biop, you know, the uh, Baghdad International Airport and everything and, you know, clear out all the looters and all that kind of stuff. And, it, you know, I mean, it was, it was, it was crap. I mean, that whole year was crap, you know, but uh you know i mean i was really impressed you know like when the invasion happened you know the marines rolled up and then third infantry division rolled in and you know it was it was a pretty uh you know i mean 2003 was definitely probably the you know the heaviest hitting year there hmm. but uh me and all my soldiers came home alive uh you know and, and some of us got a little hurt but i mean we all came home alive so i was really happy with that and again after that, I left active duty and, and just, you know, I stayed in Germany and I was a DOD civilian hmm. uh, for like three and a half years. So you were still years. married to that girl in Germany? Well, no, I, we got divorced as soon as I got back from Iraq, but we had two kids together. So hmm. I, I wanted to stay in Germany specifically so I could see them. Hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, I got, you know, I got a simple little DOD job. I mean, I was, I was a, a uh, just a, a greenskeeper on a military golf course. I mean, that's, yeah, it was, it was the best job I've ever had in my life. You know what I mean? I, mean, I loved that job, huh. right? Yeah. Right there in B spot in Germany. And luckily, I mean, I had a strong support group of friends that, you know, my, my issues that I was having from my, I, I tell everybody, my war didn't start when I went to Iraq, my war started when I got home. Hmm. Right. And, and really, I mean that pretty seriously. I mean, the minute that, Cause I knew before I left Iraq, I knew that I was going to be getting divorced by the time I got home. And, you know, mm. sure enough, I mean, you know, that's, that's exactly how it played out. And, uh, you know, I tell people, if you think it's difficult getting divorced in America, try getting divorced in Germany. Mm. Uh, it is a process and it is expensive. And I'll tell you uh, at the end of the day, you know, I mean, it, it just got to the point where I couldn't take it anymore. I was already involved with my current wife that I've been married to now for 16 years. Mm. And me and her knew each other prior to me going to Germany. So, I mean, it was kind of like a re, you know, a reconnection type of thing. And, uh, you know, I mean, I hate to say it, but all of that, all of that heartache and all of that pain and, you know, even some of the issues from Iraq, it really kind of contributed. So what I did is I left Germany and I came back to the States in 2007 and, uh, uh, I, I worked for a couple of small construction companies and then I got a security gig uh, working for FEMA. Uh, let's see. I've moved around so many times. I'm trying to remember. 
so yeah, we were in Texas and we moved to Alabama and all of a sudden I got, cause what had happened was, is in 2011, all those tornadoes hit hmm. so all those tornadoes hit like all of Alabama and, you know, I mean, like, like the Joplin, Missouri tornado and all that kind of stuff. And so FEMA was looking for private security guys. And so yeah. I got on, I got on with the company doing that for quite a while. Hmm. And then, uh, you know, I, I, I went on with, um, federal protective service for a few years after that. But I mean, here again, though, and I didn't talk about the experience when we were in Texas, I was actually in the national guard and I went to OCS and hmm. to do the officer thing. And, you know, I spent three years in the Texas national guard. So all told, all together with my combined military service, I had almost right at 10 years total time. Hmm. So seven years on active duty and then three years in the National Guard. You know, so seven years enlisted and then three years as, as a commissioned officer. That's right. So you're a lieutenant, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was, yeah. Was. Well, <laughs> well, but I mean, still officially, you know, it's, well, it's still officially acknowledged, right? Yeah, sure. I, I actually did what's called a resignation. I, I did what's called a commission resignation because you're supposed to do six years. Oh. And uh, the state of Texas actually went against their own contract because after three years, they were supposed to release me to active duty so that I could uh, do three years as an active duty officer. Hmm. And they refused to do that. So they actually reneged on their own contract. And so I, I resigned my commission and I actually got out as a staff sergeant as an E6, huh. but it was still, you know, still an honorable discharge and all that kind of stuff. It just, you know, it was, it was, it was crap. I mean, being in the national guard was absolute crap. Um, <laughs> you know, it was, but here again, everything that happened has, has basically led me up to what I am right now. So, like I said, we left Texas, we moved to Alabama, and I, I did the, the, the private security thing there for a minute. And then when I, because I have a bachelor's degree in criminal justice, so I mean, mm. it, it really was kind of, you know, I always wanted to be in federal law enforcement. And it's kind of funny, because when I was stationed down in Savannah in the late 90s, the FBI had a, had a, a, a program I can't remember what it was called, but, but basically, if you had like 30 hours in criminal justice, they were allowing soldiers to convert over to the FBI without any major, you know, I mean, you still had to do the, the flex T course and all that. But uh, basically, though, I gave that up. I gave up a career with the FBI because I didn't want to be in Atlanta, Georgia. Hmm. And, you know, now, 20 years later, I found myself back in Atlanta, Georgia anyway. <laughs> But like I said, I mean, it's just been an, it's been a very, very interesting ride. Um, you know, in the last in the last 16 years since I've been back in America with my wife that I'm currently married to now, we've, we've got two smaller kids now. We've moved to seven different states in the last 16 years. Wow. And now we're getting ready to move again. <laughs> well, and what happened was, is, you know, the FPS thing, the Federal Protective Service thing was 100 percent travel time. Huh. And. So I didn't do it for long. I mean, I did not like that job at all. I mean, you know, they huh. start you out as like a GS seven, you know, so you're only making like $35,000 a year and with the travel, you know, travel time per diem and everything adds up, but it, it, it was worse than being in the army, huh. uh, you know, really. And so I did not, I was not in that for a long time at all. And then what happened is uh, I worked for a, a fairly decent sized construction company after that as a, a project manager. And I got into an argument one day, one day with the owner of that company that this was in Phoenix, Arizona. 
And I told him straight up, I said, man, I'm going to start my own business and put you out of business. I said, <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to work for you anymore. And that's really when my life, I've always had entrepreneurial, you know, things. I've always done little side jobs and stuff like this, side hustles, even in the army. I mean, I sold cars and did all that kind of stuff. But at this point in my life, it really, really clicked in my head. And so, I mean, this was about 10 years ago. So I was, you know, about uh, 32, 33 years old. And like I said, I'd already had an exuberant amount of, of world experience, right? I mean, I'd already spent years of my life in, you know, Europe and Asia and the Middle East and stuff like that. Um, and this is when my mind just kind of came together. And I said, man, I'm not going to keep making other people rich. I'm going to start. I'm going to start doing my own business and doing my own thing. And so I've been a general contractor. You know, I've been the owner of a construction company ever since then. Hmm. Um, so what's the name of your construction company? Well, right now it's extreme earthworks, but I'm actually getting ready to sell this company. Uh -huh. So I've had, I've had this company uh, officially uh, for eight years. I actually started it in uh, Burlington, Kentucky. Uh, so the Cincinnati metro area, just hmm. on the Kentucky side of the river. But I've been here in Georgia for six years, and I have not done very well here. I've done okay, uh, but some of the laws here are just not in favor of the smaller business, you know, especially hmm. the construction guys. And so I am actually getting ready to sell Extreme Earthworks and uh, try to recoup whatever I can. I've already sold almost all my... You know, I used to have dump trucks and, you know, track hose and, you know, bobcats and all that stuff. And I, over, you know, over the last year, I've sold all of that. Wow. Um, in fact, I own, well, I did own eight acres up in North Georgia and we just sold that two days ago. Huh. So, yeah. So, you know, I mean, I'm actually liquidating every asset that I have and Dang. I'm getting ready to head out of Georgia, you know, nothing against Georgia, really. I mean, there's some, you know, there's some great people here. Is um, it the politics? It's the politics. It's the traffic. I mean, I can tell you that I work all over the, the metro of Atlanta. And on average, I, I drive four to five hours a day. And that's only driving about 100 miles a day. Wow. And I mean, just the traffic here, you know, the, the I, I can't stand how much it rains. I mean, man, when it rains, <laughs> it freaking rains. I mean, I'm talking... Most people don't know this, but Georgia gets more rain than Washington State. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody thinks. I was like just going to ask you about that, but okay. Yeah. Seattle, you know, Seattle only gets like 45 inches of rain a year. Georgia, you know, like the city of Atlanta, I think it's like this year that it had like 68 inches of rain. Hmm. And I mean, when it rains here, you know, I mean, it comes with tornadoes. It comes with, <laughs> you know, it, it's torrential. Wow. Um, and, and I just, yeah, I don't, I don't like it. Now I'll say this, uh, Georgia, and really this whole region, you know, Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, Tennessee, I'll even throw Northern Alabama up in there. Um, it's beautiful. The terrain, you know, the greenery, how green it is and how hilly it is and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it is just absolutely beautiful. Yeah. But it's just, there's too many people. It's too expensive. And I hmm. don't like the contractor laws here. These contractor <laughs> laws are not designed for small businesses. Huh. And so I'm trying to, I, I, I won't disclose exactly where I'm going. Cause one of the reasons that I am going is because I I'm, I'm trying to become as reclused as I can. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, but I will say that where I'm going is, is back West and it's in a state that 
doesn't require things like general contractors licensing and thing like that. I mean, you know, it, it's a very, it's a much freer state where I'm going to, Okay. Um, you know, and, and so you're going to do again, the same line of work, just in a different state. I'm going to start a new company. I don't know. Cause what I've been doing here is I've been doing contract. So I, I build houses on contract and I don't want to be a contractor anymore. I want to mm. be, I want to, I, I want to build my own houses. And then, cause my wife is a realtor, you know, and we own a, we own several realty company and, you know, property management companies and stuff. Hmm. And so what I'm planning on doing is I'm going to go ahead and get my realtor's license as well. So that me and her can kind of tag team the whole real estate thing. Hmm. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus solely on just building one or two small houses a year, selling them and, and that's what I'm planning. I, I don't want to do any more contracts for hmm. anybody. Um, is that your I, retirement plan? Yeah. Yep, is it? Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, All right. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm getting ready to turn 43. And uh, I think within the eight years of me having extreme earthworks, I mean, there were a few years where I did, uh, you know, right at like two and a half million dollars of, of, hmm. of contracts. And so, I know that I can build another company fairly quickly and I know how to do it. Like I said, I just want to do it a little differently this time. And the only reason I'm not taking extreme earthworks with me is because the state I'm going to already has an extreme earthworks. Uh. Yeah. They're an extreme earthworks uh, incorporated and I'm a LLC, but I, I don't want to have that type of, you know, name. Right. you know, I mean, so that's the only reason I'm getting rid of it is because uh. Uh, I, and plus I actually kind of like the challenge of, of, building something back up from scratch. Hmm. Um, cause I seem to do a lot better on my startup businesses than I do after they've been going, you know, past like five or six years. Huh. Uh, I, I do. I mean, I don't know if it's just my motivation and you know, that I'm so hyped into trying to get it, but yeah, I mean, I do, I do a lot better. I've found with every business I've ever had, I've, I've done a lot better within the first two years hmm. than to carry it on after that. And so, that's really my plan is to just kind of, you know, start doing those kind of startups, but I'm really going to focus much more on real estate investment. You know, being able to sell this land that we had up North is going to give us, you know, it, it's given us that, that cushion because uh, we, we had that hundred percent paid for. So that was really a, a blessing for us to be able to sell it that quick and kind of recoup some of that, you know, cause I'll, I'll tell you, I tell everybody out there, don't invest in Bitcoin. Don't invest in, you know, all that, invest in real estate. I mean, that, that's the thing that never depreciates. Right. Right. Um, you, you know, and, and, and I'm talking raw land, I'm talking, you know, just straight uh, estate, hmm. you know, houses can depreciate. They don't usually, but they can, you know, if a housing market crash hits or something like that, you know, a, a structure can depreciate, but raw land, I mean, it's like gold. I mean, it just, you know, hmm. the value always goes up and up and up hmm. and, you know, so, we've been very, very blessed. Uh, and like I said, the way, if, a, if people listen to my life story and the, in the <laughs> events that took place in my young, early, like teenage years and in, in my young adulthood, I mean, first of all, I'll be the first one to admit that if I would not have joined the army when I did, I would probably either be in jail, I'd be addicted to drugs or I'd be dead. Mm. No doubt about it. Um, I, I cannot describe how grateful i am for the opportunity that the u.s army gave now i'll tell you what when i went to that maps man i had to lie my ass off 
right? I mean, and my recruiter told me, he said, look, man, don't ever tell anybody that you broke your neck. Don't ever tell anybody that you did, you know, broke other bones. Cause I mean, I'd broken my leg. I'd broken, you know, many bones mm. before I joined and, you know, he was right. I mean, I, I had to lie my ass off to wow. get into the army. Yeah. But, I've, heard a, I've heard a lot of people have had to do that. And, and, and I don't remember what mine were. Mine weren't as grandiose or as many, but I, I did have to, you know, fudge and be a little dishonest myself, you know? Yeah. It's, it's amazing, but you know, and it's interesting. I, it's, it's an interesting thing. It seems like a lot of people who go in the military that had a, um, a hard story or hard luck story that, that follow or however they got in there, those people, not always, but they generally seem to have turned around and done, figured it all out and, and, and doing well. Well, you know, I've kind of, and here again, I mean, just by simple things, world experience is, a, is it, it's an amazing thing to have, right? It is. There's so many people out there that have never even left their hometown. Right. Um, I, I literally was talking to a guy the other day in downtown Atlanta. He was a black guy. And this dude had never left Fulton County. Wow. Really? He'd, he'd never even been outside of the city limits of Atlanta, Georgia. Wow. And he was in his 30s. Jeez. And. Huh. Yeah. I've heard those stories, you know, and I gather that that probably there's probably far more people, probably a very large percentage of people that haven't ventured outside their state or at least not very far. Okay. Save the people that say max out their credit card to go on that cruise, yeah, you know, or that dream vacation, those yeah. sorts of things, but it, it's usually the postcard tour, but yeah, I would say probably. And, and if somebody has to figure, I'd love to hear it. It's probably somewhere around 80 or 90% of the people probably don't venture much outside their state, right. um, except for that occasional rare postcard tour somewhere. Uh, well, and, and that's the beauty of being in the military because right. it gives you, you know, if it does nothing else for people, it gets them away from mom and dad and it teaches them how to, you know, do things like wash their own clothes <laughs> and stuff like that. And you have to learn quick in your day when you were in the military, uh, did they ever, did you ever hear the threats or hear the stories of guys that went, that ended up in Leavenworth? Uh, well, and I don't yeah. mean Leavenworth, Washington, the tour. Yeah. Time. Yeah. I had an <laughs> uncle. One, one of my uncles, uh, ended up when he was in the army back in the early eighties, Okay, he got, he got in some trouble and he ended up spending four years in uh, Fort Leavenworth. Um, and it's actually lucky for him that we had one of our, one of my great uncles, one of, one of my grandma's brothers was a California state Senator. So he was able to actually get his sentence reduced from 10 years down to four. Wow. But, you know, crazy things happen in Leavenworth. I can tell you yeah. that. I mean, there's some crazy, <laughs> crazy things. Um, yeah. I mean, but, well, well, for, I mean, I know of Leavenworth. I've never been to that, that region that I've never been there physically, but I mean, throughout my military time. And since then, I mean, you hear a lot about it, people that went there, but is that a maximum federal maximum facility, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the yeah. guys in the military or gals that go there, I mean, they probably it's not just for, you know, stealing food out of the 7-Eleven, right? Right. No, you, yeah, <laughs> you got to commit a pretty serious felony. Okay. Uh, you know, and I, I won't go into detail about what right. my uncle did. All I'll, all I'll say is that his particular thing was dealing with drugs. 
hmm. uh, that he got involved in while he was in the army, while he was stationed in Korea. Um, but it's serious business. And basically what it is, is so anything in the military UCMJ that punishes a person for uh, anything that would require less than one year, then they send them to Quantico, Virginia, to the, to the Marine base in Quantico, Virginia. Hmm. Any, any punishment or any sentence that's more than one year, they send them to Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. So interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it is a maximum. I mean, it's where you take big rocks and turn them into little rocks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's, yeah. It's a maximum facility, maximum security facility. And, uh, uh, I've known a couple of friends of mine who were stationed there as MPs. And I know, I, I know a couple of special forces guys that actually got sent there. Uh, to do like guard duty and stuff like hmm. that. So it, it's guarded by military personnel. I mean, you know, they, they carry fully loaded, a, you know, ARs and M16s and shotguns and all, you know, I mean, they don't huh. play around. I mean, if you try to escape, they'll shoot you in your head. Wow. Um, okay. They, they have sniper towers. Like I said, I've known a couple of special Interesting. guys. That, yeah. Um, you know, that's interesting. A- they, they have a facility um, in the city of Monroe, which is, from from my driveway, depending on traffic and weather, is roughly an hour and a half drive from here. Yeah, okay? and that's uh, as I recollect is a maximum security facility as well. I don't know that those guys actually have marksman or sniper type weapons in their towers, but I've heard that they have. I've been on that facility and I've seen the towers and driven past them, and it's a process to get in. Yeah, and there's signs warning you, you know, and uh, I've seen not easily just a few times when the light is just right you can see him looking through something yeah yeah so um i mean same same thing well and i'll tell you uh one of the jobs that i had when i came back to the states uh right before my security gig um was working for a company based out of alabama that built prisons and i have been in some yeah i mean i i've rebuilt uh, parchman mississippi which is the state uh death row Hmm. Uh, facility over by uh, Clarksdale, Mississippi. I, I redid the federal penitentiary in San Antonio, Texas. I redid Hernando County, which is just a county facility down in Florida. But I, I've seen some maximum security prisons that have sniper towers, and then I've seen some that don't. So it really right. just depends on the on the facility. A lot of these federal pr- uh, prisons now are all controlled by CCA. Um, you know, that's corporate corrections of America. It's a private, you know, okay. private, yeah, they're private companies. And, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a big supporter of that, but a lot of these federal penitentiaries and these state penitentiaries are actually turning into CCA facilities. So most of them probably don't have sniper towers because I can't. So we'll, we'll come back to that later. Okay. When we get to what chaps you part, because <laughs> yeah. Yeah. there's a lot of that, right? Oh yeah. Of, okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, but let me ask you, so you, so you spent, uh, essentially 10 years in the military yep. you also but you also did private contracting uh was it in the states outside the states or both well no everything that i did was in the states but okay. it was all fema related so it was okay. it was just bouncing around you know like what what happened was is uh when all the tornadoes hit in 2011 uh fema hired you know i think it was like paragon systems or something like that is, is actually yeah, i know them yeah yeah right right so it, you know the owner of that company is an ex-fbi agent and he started hmm. the company because he had all the connections and so when all the tornadoes hit and fema decided to subcontract their security for it you know obviously they did a, a mass rush hiring because there was so many 
different FEMA sites that needed security. And now, so is that I the same got, time frame as NOLA? Or was that a little sooner? No, nah, it was a little earlier, after right? that. Yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was, yeah, but it was the same concept. Same thing. I mean, okay. Yeah, same concept. Now, I mean, weren't I, they under the weren't they under the microscope because of all that stuff that that they that happened during NOLA, and so the stuff that came later, they were kind of under the microscope and they scaled back a little bit, right? Yeah. Well, okay. yeah, exactly. And you know, there was a whole lot of you know, I mean, obviously with the creation of Homeland Security and all these you know, Patriot Acts and all this other kind of stuff. For some reason, the federal government just decided it would be cheaper to, to subcontract security mm. than it would be to actually do direct hire, uh, you know, federal federal agents. Well, weren't they also concerned, at least at that time, still to some extent about the perception of having uniformed troops in the cities yeah. and doing stuff, yeah. right? Yeah, well, because that's really the biggest thing is because even now there's all, there's a lot of conspiracy theories about FEMA camps and all this. And I can tell you a lot of those conspiracy theories are probably true. There are some, <laughs> there, there are some huge FEMA camps. I mean, I got sent up to uh, North Dakota one time um, and this FEMA camp that they had up there. I mean, it was, it was basically its own city. Hmm. And, you know, I mean, they, they had, and what had happened is, is this town in North Dakota had gotten completely flooded out. I mean, the whole town was underwater. I mean, literally. And so they had all the people basically living in this FEMA camp. But when I got up there, uh, I mean, it was kind of scary. I mean, hmm. it was like, man, by that point, I'd already left the, the private contracting and I was actually in FDS because that's kind of how you work your way up into it. You know, you, you meet people and, you know, right. shake hands and stuff. And um, but yeah, it, it was actually kind of scary to me. And I left that assignment early. That's actually when I resigned. I was up there for like 90 days and I was like, man, the water's gone. Why aren't these people back in their houses? You know what I mean? Huh. It's, it's like, man, I, you know, I, I, I had to, I had to get back home. Uh, <coughs> again, it was a hundred percent travel time job and I just, I couldn't take it anymore. It just, it was terrible. But hmm. you know, for the guys that like, like one of my really, really good friends that uh, he started out with the security company too. And then he worked his way up into the federal prison uh, system and now he's over in uh louisville kentucky and he's like the he's like the regional manager of the entire federal prison system up there so wow. i mean you know it really was a good stepping stone and i do even have a couple of friends who branched off and started their own private security groups um and they're doing really good i mean I, i've got a buddy down in florida i mean he's literally like he, you know he he started a, a security firm where he does like bodyguard stuff. Um, you know, I mean, and he is doing phenomenal. I mean, man, huh. he's making all kinds of money in Florida, you know, but in Florida. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. He, he, he does a lot so they of got stuff. the rich jet set going through yeah. Florida too, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. okay. Yeah. But, and I thought about that. I actually thought about starting my own security firm, you know, but I just, uh, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. And it's one of those things that you can get, like state or federal contracts it's very very lucrative but oh yeah you know, I, just, I, I just didn't have the time to try to wait it out but well they they, um, they, they can be and usually are especially you know, the federal side the trick is getting those because it can be expensive to get yeah. that contract started and yeah that's one of the things they started looking at really hard i forget exactly when but it was probably around 10 2010 2012 when they really started maybe later, but I mean, there was a point, it was after 2007, yeah. it was after 2008. So it was later where they really started looking and saying, all right, 
can this company that's bidding on this, because remember, it was still the lowest bid thing, yep. probably still is, yep. Um, yep. can they afford to pay until they get paid by us? Well, and that's just it right there, because you have to have, you know, I mean, even just looking into basic things like the workers' comp requirements and stuff like that, I mean, it, it's crazy. Right. And, you know, as it's kind of interesting because a security contract, you know, a contractor is a contractor. It doesn't matter what kind of contractor work you're doing, whether you're building houses or doing security. It's all the same mechanism, right? It's all the same licensing process. It's all the same. And, and that's another thing is, is some of these states and their licensing requirements is just ridiculous. It is. You know, and um, it's here again, it's kind of like being a general contractor where, where you basically have to be a lawyer, you know, to go and take these tests and pace, you know, pass these state exams and stuff. Um, whereas other states, you know, they basically have no contractor licensing at all. Um, right. You know, so it's, it's really. I'm with you there, Ken, because I mean, honestly, I mean, there has been more than just a few times I've can, I've thought about, you know, it would be kind of nice to move, and I won't mention the states, but there are states where the licensing and the regulations are little to to none, and, yeah. and it's like, you know, that would be refreshing. The tax rate is lower. They don't charge you for this and that, and it's very alluring, very tempting, and I'm not saying yeah. that we won't finally just say, you know what, we've had enough. Yeah. I mean, because right now, and I won't go into detail, but we're being audited, and I'm thinking, you yep. know, we've been in business for over 20 years, various yep. businesses. And yep. before then, we did other stuff and worked for other people. Never been arrested. Don't have any criminal records. Never had any red flags. None of this, none of that. Yeah. And now they're auditing us and they are anal about it. Yep. You know, and it's at the state level. And I, I, again, I can't go into detail about it, but it just is like, this is crazy. Why don't you go after people that yep. you know, because people have complained, the red flags are all there. Go after them. Yeah. Well, and that's just it. And, and, you know, here's kind of the, the interesting thing about moving around to so many different states over the last 20 years, really. The difference in how people, you know, I mean, I, I wish that I could take, you know, I'll, I'll just give you an example. I wish that I could take Colorado and Wyoming and combine them into one state with, you know, <laughs> and just have all the good laws from each state and just mix them. <laughs> You know, I, I and it, that's kind of the crazy thing about it is, is the liberal states have a lot of good things. Like I was just in Nevada. I was just in Las Vegas and I love Las Vegas. I do. Mm. And Nevada has some amazing laws, especially their tax laws. And, and, you know, they got legal marijuana now. They got they have some very, very good laws that benefit their state. But then they have other laws like their licensing requirements that are so archaic. And it's like, man, if we could, if we could just take Arizona, Nevada, and Utah and take all of the good laws and all the laws, you know, like right. Utah is a constitutional carry state, right? Huh. So is Arizona. Huh. Arizona is a constitutional carry state. But in Nevada, you've got to do all kinds of craziness just to, just to carry a sidearm right? Just to wow. carry a handgun, a concealed weapon. Yeah. And for me, that's non-negotiable. I won't live in a state that doesn't have easy concealed carry law. Right. And this actually kind of goes back to the whole security thing too, is because it's very difficult. If, if you want to do armed security, 
It is very difficult to be in a state that requires so many things to have armed concealed carry, you know, and, and AKA my state. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm just and, saying, man, you know, I've been asked so many times, even by this auditor, you know, and insurance people is like, do you have any employees? Well, I've had employees, but yep. anymore, I'd say 95, 98% of the time, a hundred percent, if I can get away with it, it's all W9 guys that are like me, whether they have yep. other people with them or not, because I'm just sick and fed up with yep. all the crap you got to do for all these whiny baby W2s. Yep. You know, well, I, even in construction, that's how I do it too. I don't direct hire anybody anymore. I subcontract right. every single thing that I do right. and, and because I'm tired of paying workers comp. I'm tired of paying, you know, I'm tired of payroll taxes to begin with. <laughs> right. B and O. Right. And, and, and I'm tired of being the one that has to sit, literally hold their hand for everything that they do. And it's like, man, I'm not for, for about the last five years. I have specific, I, I have not done any direct hiring. Well then, and then, and then the other thing that this is, okay. So we're trans folks, we're transitioning into what chaffs us. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> if, if you haven't figured out, but I mean, I mean, so, uh, I, uh, brain fart, but I'm, mean, it's, uh, that's one of the things that, that, that really got me with that what we're talking about here was in this state is all these things. When you talk about like licensing things, it goes back to a, a discussion I had with a friend of mine some years ago about a certain RCW that made no sense to me at all, the way it was written. Okay. And he's, and he was, and he was very political. He was a political creature. He spent a lot of time in King County uh, rubbing elbows with people and stuff. And he said, you know, Scott, what it is, is those RCWs and a lot of these licensing things, and these regulations are impediments to keep people like you from getting their business or from competing with them because they don't, they're afraid of guys like you because they, because yep. you know what you're doing. And, 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 you know, so he just went on. I said, no kidding. He goes, I'm just telling you, Scott, that's the way it is. That, oh, yeah. And, and, and when you meet with some of these guys and you go to some of the meetings where they all get together, part of these collections and these uh, affiliations, it's like, holy crap, you people really love each other. I mean, yeah. and, and it's like, do any of you really know security? You know, anyway, I, I went on a tangent there, but yeah, the, the laws and the regulations, the taxes and all the stuff that goes into it. I mean, it gets burdensome, you know, I'm just saying, I, I sometimes have said, you know what? I'm not sure I'm ready to go back to Alaska and work on a crab processor again, yeah. but it's a simple life. You know, I mean, I'm you, telling you, yeah, those kinds of jobs. I'm just saying there, there's there's others out there and, you know, maybe even pizza delivery again, you know, uh, back when it was fun. Um, but I'm just saying their job, there are jobs that are not glamorous and people look down at you. But it's like, you know, it's easy. I make a decent, decent living and it's simple. You know, yep. I don't have all this stuff. And that's why I think I was going with the liability the onus that's on company owners, small yep. business owners, the, the, the liability and everything that's on us that we're culpable or liable for, for the actions and or the words of an employee. It's like, what? You know, they're yep. the ones that said it. They're the ones that did it. Why am I being held liable? Yeah. Well, and, and that's the thing with it is, you know, uh, here, hold on one second. Grab the remote. Uh, 
this country, there, there's one thing about America that is still true, and that's that. Uh, and hold on, let me rewind my video real quick. Uh, America is still the land of opportunity. There's no doubt about that. Um, the problem is, here, hold on, rewind it. <laughs> the, the, the problem is, is that you have to have so much money in order to be lucrative, right? I mean, America is still the land of opportunity, but anybody who wants to make it can. But there's so much red tape and there's yeah. so much bureaucracy yeah. that you cannot really succeed the way that you could 50 years ago. Right. You know what I mean? It, our, our system is not designed for the smaller businesses to really thrive anymore. It is designed for the big corporations to have their monopoly system. And, and that's where these laws come from. Absolutely. You know, you're you, right. I think we've seen that coming decades ago. We probably didn't recognize it, but we now know that because we hear everybody yeah. complaining about big tech, big pharma, big yeah. oil, big this, yeah. big that. And, uh, they, you know, and, and you look at the umbrella or the, the, the company that owns all these other companies that we identify as Safeway or Fred Meyer or, you know, just go down the list. And, and you see that there's 20, 30, 50 of them, and they're all owned by this one company, yeah. you know. So if that one CEO makes a decision, it affects all of them. Yeah. You know, there's, there's no more independence. No, you, uh, I still, I, I would agree though. I, uh, my dad used to say, you know, Scott, it takes money to make money. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, I came to understand that again, years later, but again, I think, and, and it takes longer. It's a much more drawn out process, but a fellow like you or me can still do well, perhaps even better than well, by staying the course and, and people realize, you know, I've heard this before in phone calls, they've been through that rodeo two or three times. Now they want somebody they're willing to pay the extra money and they're willing to hire somebody like you because they've been through this before. And it was an embarrassment. It was a yeah. shambles. You know, they, they, they almost got in trouble legally or whatever. I'm just saying. So, yeah. it, so the opportunities, those things for the small guy are still out there. There's lots of them. But you got to stay the course. You got to keep that name and that recognition, yeah. and that brand yeah. out there, and remind people. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's not easy, man. Not at all. Uh, go ahead. It, it, well, no, I, I mean, it kind of goes back to what I was saying in the beginning about reputation and how online reviews. Today's world, there's so much. Uh, I, I guess it's so easy to leave your opinion anywhere and everywhere. Right. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, you can have a thousand good reviews and one bad review will completely destroy you. Wow. And you know, the people who have never been in business, it's kind of like the same people who've never ventured outside of their own city or outside of their own you know, County or anything like that. They don't understand, you know, the people that have never actually had to pay their own taxes, mm. they don't understand what an employer has to go through right. to pay payroll taxes. Right. right. I mean, they don't understand that that's actual physical money that the, that that employer has to pay. I mean, trust me, I've had my bank account seized by by a state IRS department. Wow. I mean, they, they seized my bank account. I wasn't even able to go in and, and fill my truck up with gas. Wow. And it was like, man, I didn't even know I was doing anything wrong. 
Wow. You know, and, and, and the state's telling me, they're like, oh, well, you know, you didn't do your quarterly filing and, you know, we're showing that you haven't paid any payroll taxes in the last three months. And it's like, I didn't even know anything about it. I was just starting out, wow. you know, wow. but, but that's what I'm saying is, is the average American doesn't know the process of being self-employed. Yes. You know, they don't know the, yeah. the hardship or, or the, they, they don't know the, the kind of discipline and the kind of, like you're saying, Anything is possible if you stay the course. It's just becoming harder and harder. Well, of course it is. Yeah, to- no, I agree. And I've had that same conversation with one person in particular, a POC with the contract I have at a government level. And then other private, it's like, you know, when it does come up and, and it comes up a little bit more frequently than I thought it would. But it's like, you know, you don't understand. Um, I'm not making as much money as you think yeah. I am. Okay? Yeah. And there's a lot of costs involved that you probably aren't aware of. Yep. And there's a lot more concerns and planning and strategizing that I have to do than you realize. Okay. I mean, it's different if you just need one or two people to do a fire watch and you're just checking the boxes. I said, but you know, it's not going to be me because I'm going to charge you too much. You know, yeah. there's plenty of other companies that'll do that, but yeah, no, it, it I, I remind them, I say, you know, you might be spending a lot for this project, but that doesn't mean I'm making a lot. Yeah, exactly. Okay? I'm just, yeah. you know, you know, and, and I've, and, and I haven't really come right out at, at this one guy because he just doesn't understand, but that's okay. He's a good dude. We get along yeah. well, you know, and, and, it, and, you know, I've gone back and forth, whether it's worth keeping the contract or not, but, you know, um, still I like the dude. And, and, and he says, you know, it's all about relationships, Scott. He said, it's all about relationships and we've developed such a good relationship and, and I've done just enough real work for them that their people at other facilities have seen it and they go, wow. So they yeah. like what I do. Um, now, do I wish there was a lot of this involved? Oh yeah, you bet I do. But I'm just saying, just cause it's a government contract doesn't mean I'm getting fat on this thing. Yeah. I mean, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I actually, uh, I, I don't do government contracts anymore as, as far as mm. the construction side, mm. just because it actually is so unlucrative. <laughs> I make a whole lot more money d- just doing private contracts, you know, pretty right. building, building right. houses and stuff like that. I, I actually stopped doing, especially federal contracts. I don't do any federal mm. contracts anymore. Every now and then I'll still do a city contract. Like if they have a demolition or something that mm. they need, you know, I'll still do something like that. Right. But as, as far as state and federal contracts, I don't do any of those anymore because those are the contracts that will bankrupt you if you can't complete them, you know, according to their schedule and according to their, you know, th- th- there's no such thing as a change order on a federal contract. What you <laughs> bid is what you better be able to do the job right. for or nope. they'll bankrupt. You. Right. Yeah. Not like it used to be. Uh, now, right. if you're a large enough, and I'm just going to say it, if you're a large enough construction and engineering firm that also just happens to have an in-house security group, to, right. to, okay, you're probably going to get away with a lot of this stuff because you're a very large worldwide conglomerate construction and engineering company. And let's face it, um, I, I mean, and I'll let you go on a tangent about that one, but I'm just saying, you know, we know it's out there. We've seen it, and it was in contracting overseas, and we saw a lot of that stuff. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. um, come back to the little guy. Okay. And, and I, and, and I hardly ever do anything that's even quasi government anymore at all once in a while, because I like the person that's on that council or whatever, yeah. you know, yeah. something small over the weekend. Okay, fine. You know, extra coin in my pocket, but for the most part, 
it, it, it's private, especially the way things have gone devolved lately. I, yeah. I see and talk to these people and, and they're doing these citywide security programs and they're all unarmed. And I said, are you kidding? I wouldn't even touch that. I wouldn't even yeah. think yeah. about it. I said, yeah. you know, and, and I'm talking to all these homeless people and transients and, and, you know, the, the, the good fellows and gals that come down, you know, to the city part and they're partying on the weekend, sometimes Thursdays and Wednesdays. And yeah. it's like, and, and almost every one of them has a weapon of some sort, almost right. every one of them, you know, or multiple. And I'm thinking, and this poor slob over here doesn't understand what he got himself into when he's going, <laughs> he's responsible for security throughout the city. You know, and, and it's like, and he's unarmed. He yep. can't even have a pocket knife. I'm like, <laughs> dude. Are, yeah. I'm just saying, man, that, you know, there is no security without, yeah. without that stuff. You know, it, it, it's an oxymoron as far as I'm yep. concerned. Okay. So um, I digressed a little bit, you know, um, but, you know, that, that was, those are some of the things that kind of chaffed me a little bit. Yeah. Uh, well, and, yeah. and we haven't even hit the big picture about what's going on in the country and around the world yet. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, but, and here again, this is really why, you know, it, it, it really is a joke sometimes. I mean, I'll, I'll give you another example. I mean, aside from the security thing, I've seen government contracts where I've seen a company go and make a mock company. A, a construction company. I, I actually knew a guy who did this. He went and he had a nice, big, well-known construction company. He went and made a small mock company. He bid it on a, on a state job with the small one. So he got the lowest bid. And then he purposely failed so that he could renegotiate his main company to come in and rescue wow. and, and do the, you know, and somehow he got away with it. Wow. Now, if that would have been me, they would have put me in jail. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? For right. contract. Oh, yes. Fraud. Oh, yeah. But he got away with it. And, you know, sure enough, I mean, it wasn't, uh, you know, a big secret that he had been out playing golf with the governor two weeks before it all happened. Wow. So, you know, I mean, things like and, and here again, this wasn't in Georgia. This was actually in Florida. But and it, it was not Ron DeSantis. This happened many years ago. But, um, you know, the point is, is, is that there's always a way to get around these government things, but it just goes to show you if, it, if you've got a, 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 a government contract that's hiring non-armed security, then it's really just taxpayer dollars being spent to make it look like they're doing something when they're really not. Right. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. I, I think it, it's, 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 there's probably more parts to it than this, but right. I, I see it usually as three things. One, it's the insurance thing. So yeah. that they can allay their insurance company and keep their rates from going up. Okay. Cause they've already been burglarized or vandalized however many times, and they've lost X number of thousands of dollars or more. And, and now they're trying to stop the bleeding before it gets out of control. So the insurance yeah. company is happy because they've got security in there. Right. Second thing is, and let's be honest, most people think they know security, even if they right. have, have never done security. But how many times have you say, oh, I used to do security? It's like, oh, OK, whatever, you know, and you hear their lame ass story and it's like, yeah, OK, you know, but, you know, I'm just so I think that's the second thing is that everybody thinks they know security. OK, and then the third thing is. It's expensive and it's yeah. not usually something that a company. Uh, strategizes or right, takes yeah. into account. Yeah. during as a matter of their normal course of business and when they realize you know because i i mean i don't know about you but i mean 
I, it's not uncommon. I wouldn't call it frequent, but it's not uncommon for people to kind of choke and balk a little bit, you know, and it's, and they say, well, that's X number of dollars per day. I say, well, you know, it's, it's amazing how fast people can do math when it comes down to budget. Right. <laughs> right? right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, sometimes they, they, they've got the answer before I could even calculate it real quick. You know, yep. it's like, so they already knew, but, yep. uh, yeah. So, I, I mean, I don't, I, I just, it's uh, so I think whether it's construction or security um, I mean, again, there, there, there needs to be some limits, there needs to be some constraints, but so much of it is just over the top and it's become burdensome and, and it just, it, it kills things. Um, so let me ask you now, so you're in the state of Georgia, you're going to be bugging out like what? Um, at the end of this month, I'm rolling. Is that at, right? At the, at the end of this month, I'm packing up today. I actually, because uh, I just sold all of my, I, I sold, I, I had uh, I had five different work trucks that I had uh, some of my guys driving. I don't have any direct hire employees, but I still buy company vehicles so that my foremans can drive. Okay. Uh, you know, and I was paying for their gas and everything. I mean, I've actually got one guy that's living in my backyard in his RV. <laughs> but uh wow you know I mean, yeah i mean he's a good kid he's from mississippi so i you okay. know I, I i bought him a truck and everything uh and then uh <laughs> beer it's beer 30 it's beer 30 <laughs> uh but anyway i mean i've sold everything that i own I, you know literally I, I i had a like three big trailers that i had all my tools and stuff in i've i've gotten rid of all that stuff so if you had it to do over again, knowing what you know, and you could go back to whatever point in time you wanted to go back, even if you were able to know that you know what's going to happen because your memory didn't erase, for some reason, God decided to let you keep that memory so that you knew what was going to happen. Would you do it again? Yes, I would absolutely do everything. You know, I mean, I, maybe with the exception of a couple of states that I've lived in, I would absolutely do it again. I probably would never come back to Georgia um, <laughs> just because I have not made as much money here as what I should have made. This is a very difficult state to get uh. your foot in the door if you're not a native Georgian. Mm. Um, they really do have a pretty tight uh, good old boy network down here. And, you know, it, it's really... Uh, I mean, you almost got to be born into this system down here. Hmm. And I knew that I, I knew that coming here, but you know, it, Atlanta is one of those cities that just, it, it is such a beautiful place and I'm a fair weather guy. I don't like being up North. I don't like being in the cold, but I can tell you honestly that if I had to do it all over again, I probably would have stayed in Texas or Arizona. Um, and I probably would have, tried focusing on a few different areas you know one of the things in construction is is that it, it changes a lot more often than people realize i mean the whole industry i mean you know it, and it really plays a lot into who's president epa laws things like that right and who's governor um you can be in a state that is pro-business and pro-construction and within four years that state will change and completely right. reverse Right. And well, so, look at look at what's happened here nationally. And I was going to say Arizona, yeah. Texas. So let's say you stayed in Texas or Arizona with what's been going on for the past couple of years. I mean, you probably would be pulling your hair out by now, right? Well, possibly. There's a lot of competition there. And, the, you know, the simple truth is that there's a lot of illegal uh, people that work there. 
but there is in Georgia too. You know, Georgia's huh. the eighth most populated state in America for having the highest Hispanic population. Huh. And you know, I mean, it's right. It's very close to Florida and Texas, really. Hmm. Um, but you know, here again, it, it, there, there's just certain state laws that make a big difference, uh, like Texas and and Arizona's not so contractor friendly. It's just that there's a lot of people there, so the demand is very high. Hmm. Okay. Um, but as far as just me being around my own kind of people, yeah. I just haven't done well in Georgia. You know, I mean, it's right. just a, it's a complete different mindset. I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's just a lot more tight knit, you know? So do you think that's because it's part of the old South? Yeah. Do you think that's what it is? It's just yeah. that, that old mentality that, that goes with it. Well, yeah. And I'll tell you, I mean, I think I, I really do think that Florida is probably the only southern or at least southeastern state that doesn't have this kind of mindset. But this region is very hmm. and I mean, there's things going back to, you know, the, the man, how do I say this without pissing off half of Georgia? But I, I've never experienced this type of racism in my life, hmm. and it's not from the white people. Hmm. Um, I have never experienced, you know, obviously Georgia is, is a traditionally black state, same as Alabama, Mississippi, you know, South Carolina. And there are some serious problems here and it's not from the white people. Hmm. Um, I, I have never been around people. I'll, I'll say it. I'll say it like it is. The black people here in this state are so racist that you can barely be around them. There's, there's parts of Atlanta where you can't even drive into if you're a white person, they'll right. shoot you. Sure. And I know that every major city has this kind of same type of areas. You I was going to say Seattle. <laughs> sure. Seattle. I won't has, mention it. There's a couple yeah, neighborhoods, sure, but sure. I mean, one of my best friends got killed there in Tacoma on in, in a hilltop Tacoma because he was wearing a blue hat. Wow. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I, this kind of stuff does exist everywhere. It's just right. that it, you know, Georgia is so, I mean, it is just really difficult here. Hmm to if you're an outsider because the white people here don't want to deal with you because you're not a southerner like them and the black people here don't want to deal with you because you're not them right <laughs> you know what i mean and it's right. it's just a very racially uh you know being from the pacific northwest you know we didn't really have that kind of tension right you know at least i didn't anywhere i ever grew up i mean you know i i remember i remember in the 80s you know when the mass influx of Hispanics started coming up, you know, cause you know, like where I grew up in Washington state, that's the apple Valley, right. I and mean, apples and potatoes. And so we had huge inflection inflections of, of Hispanic migrants, seasonal workers right. coming up, you know, during right. the summertime, you know, I mean, my hometown used to go from about, you know, maybe like, like five or 6,000 people in the wintertime to, you know, literally like 30,000 people in the summertime. Huh. But, you know, it's like an 87% Hispanic ratio. Right. But, you know, we, you know, we really didn't see any massive, like, racial clashes with any of that. You know what I mean? I mean, there was the gang stuff, but that was a separate issue. Right. And but down here, I mean, I can I can say this honestly, that I, I've lived almost in every portion of America. I've lived from corner to corner and everywhere in between. I mean, like I said, in the last 16 years we've lived in seven different states hmm. and I have never seen anything like this that 
how they got it down here, like in Georgia, South Carolina, Alabama, you know, and it's just, uh, to me, it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I don't like it, but uh, all I know is that I've got to get someplace that's a little bit right. more white friendly. And I'll, I'll say it, I'll, I'll say it like it is. I mean, right. you know, people, I, I've got no problem with any of them, anybody. I, I've got no problem with really anybody out there, but people do better when they're around their own when they're around their own people, I think. Well, that's um, not, that's, that's not far from the truth. It might even be the truth. Um, you know, it, it's been, uh, uh, forget how, I mean, it, it, it's phrased differently in, in various forms of literature, but I mean, essentially, uh, we were all different tribes. Right. All, and okay. I mean, I, the, we, we, you know, that, I mean, I, I tr won't go into a deep dive on it, but I mean, I mean, that's one of the things that really chaffs me is that, you know, I'm Italian American, I'm, I'm African American, I'm Jewish American. I'm, it's like, wait a minute. I'm not saying I'm Irish American. Right. I'm not saying I'm Franco American. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm whatever. I'm American. Now, when I was contracting, I was still an American. I identified that and, and, and nobody had a problem with that. Okay. I wasn't trying to call myself an American Iraqi or an American Afghan, or an American right. Kuwaiti, you know? Right. Now, you can get that citizenship. You can apply for it if you want. You know, you could get dual citizenship. That's fine if you want, if, you know, if you're going to be living there long enough. But it, it might behoove you to do that. But I'm still an American. I'm still an American, okay? And, and that I'm just saying, when we're talking about stuff that chaps me, it's like, you know, I don't, I don't identify as European-American. No. I'm just saying, I identify as American, and I've got plenty of lineage of blood in me yeah. through the through the eons you know from my family tree i could identify as a whole lot of stuff if i wanted <laughs> i'm just saying, right you know? yeah yeah no but exactly. i'm american man it's it just it's like who you know what let me ask you so then what do you think why maybe it's the why because i've always said if you can figure out the why you probably can figure out how to fix the problem why do sure. you think why do you think all these divisive groups and people are, are, are agitating and stirring things up the way they are. I mean, what is it you think they're trying to accomplish other than the, the new world order? Well, you know, and I don't even know about the whole new world order thing. I mean, I, I here's what I think has happened. I, I, I think that first of all, words matter, right? Words matter. Sure. They do. And I, I think that over the last, I mean, we could probably trace this back maybe even a hundred years with some verbiage that's being used by certain groups of people and stuff like that. I, I, I think that the, the, there's one side of our population that has learned how to capitalize on victimhood, hmm. right? And we can call them leftists, we can call them liberals, whatever somebody wants to call them. But I, I think it's a specific group of people that have learned how to capitalize on division and divisiveness and, and victimhood. Right. And, and what's happened is, is that people have become so sensitive that instead of even being willing to have a conversation, words are offending them that don't even mean what they think they should mean. Right. <laughs> right. So so like, for example, when I start talking about the racial divide in some of these southern states, the racial divide is all over the country. It's just more prominent here. Mm. And the reason that it's more prominent here is because you have such a higher population of black people, right? The, the okay. South is, you know, predominantly black, obviously. Hmm. 
And so these people have been trained, and I say that literally, they have been indoctrinated with this victimhood mentality to where they're not even willing to have a discussion without calling people racist. There's nothing that I ever say that's racist. It may be racial, but there's nothing racist about it, right? right? I mean, um, <clears throat> right. and I get into discussions. I mean, believe me, I, I actually... I could tell you some stories about things that have like last year I was doing a demolition. I was demolishing this, this old house in downtown, literally in midtown Atlanta. So you could see the Capitol building. You could see the freeway just a block away from where I was at. And right across the street was this, it wasn't a homeless shelter, but it was basically one of the, you know, it, it was owned by these two white, like hippie guys, right? The, they had dreadlocks and, they were wearing, you know, Birkenstock sandals and shit. You know what I mean? Wow. And so, so this homeless shelter that's in a hundred percent black neighborhood is owned by these two white guys, and obviously they had BLM signs up on the front of their thing and all this other, other stuff. So I was doing a demolition right across the street from this homeless shelter. Now, right next to the homeless shelter is this alcohol store, this beer shop. You know, here in the south they call them package <laughs> stores. I, I so, kind of see where this is going. Go ahead. Okay. So, so I've got my truck parked on my side of the street, right? Yeah. And my truck is, it's got my company logos all over it and it's got tools in the back and all kinds of stuff. And I'm on my excavator demolishing this, this building and crunching up everything. And so all these black guys that are homeless, they're, they're going in and out of the liquor store. You know, it's, it's amazing how they got money for that. Right. They're all carrying their 40 ounce, you know, <laughs> anyway, they came across the street and they started literally climbing up and, and pulling things out of the back of my truck. So I stopped my tractor. I had my nine millimeter on my side. I stopped my tractor and I start yelling at them. I'm like, Hey man, there's probably about 10 or 12 of them. I didn't count, but there, there was a good number of them. Hmm. And they were, you know, I had a generator in the back. They were literally getting ready to just take everything. Wow. And I told them, I said, if you guys touch my truck, I said, I'm going to start shooting. I said, Georgia, yeah, I mean, I didn't tell this to them, but I mean, you know, Georgia has some phenomenal stand your ground laws. Hmm. And so I told them, I said, leave my shit alone, get away from my truck, or I will start shooting every single one of you. These guys, these homeless guys start yelling at me that I'm racist. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, dude, really? I mean, they're literally climbing up into right. the back of my truck. Right now, I get you, man. Okay, so I, I, long story short, there was actually this one guy that he came over. He was a homeless guy, too. He came over, and he started yelling. He, he was a black dude, and he came over to this group of guys, and he told them, he's like, man, y'all need to roll up out of here quick. So I went up to him, and I was like, you know, he introduced himself. He's like, dude, I was a Marine. He's like, man, I'm sorry for this shit. He's like, you know. He actually asked me if I could give him a ride down to the VA hospital. And I said, yeah, fuck yeah. I went and took him to McDonald's and hmm. uh, gave him like 20 bucks. And, you know, I took him down to the VA. But I mean, you know, he told me, he was like, dude, I'm so sorry. He's like, I know you were just out there trying to do your job. He's like, I saw your, your veteran license plate. He's like, so I, I knew I had to come and help you. Huh. I was like, man, fucking thank you. You know, right. seriously, wow. thank you. And he was a homeless dude? He was a homeless dude. Interesting. Okay. Former Marine. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, he was an older guy. He was probably, I'd say probably in his mid forties to early fifties. Hmm. Uh, he said he was desert storm era. So I, I guess he would have had to have been in his fifties. Okay. Um, yeah. But now my question to him was, is number one, 
what would he have done if he didn't see that my truck was a veteran owned, you know, company? Right. How would he have reacted? I mean, I didn't talk to him about any of that, but I, you know, I thanked him. I gave him a ride down to the VA and, you know, he told me, he was like, man, you, you know, don't worry about those guys anymore. They won't fuck with any of your stuff. Huh. So he, I, I guess he was kind of like the street king, you know what right. I mean? Could be, could be, you know, but right. I mean, it was just, it was just like, you know, why did it even have to get to that point Right. where I'm just trying to do my job here again? They think that I'm my right. own company. So they think I'm some kind of millionaire or something. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, dude, that doesn't give you the right to sit there and literally take stuff out of the back of my truck tools oh. that I've worked very, very hard to accumulate. Right over well, the years it's the same mindset that all those people used a year or two years ago when they were looting and pillaging city after city after city yeah okay it was the same mindset but more but the, what what aggravated it what made it worse and probably gave them the sense that they they could get away with it is that the politicians were actually encouraging them oh, exactly. and, 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 and letting them know that you'll be protected. Yeah. Okay. You, you, we, we will grant you some sort of legal protection because you're justified and here's why you're justified for doing it. Okay. And we, we also, I don't need to go through all of it, but we yeah. all remember the seeing it stuff on the news, reading it in the news. It was there. It happened. Okay. So Pelosi. And most of that and, was right here in Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah. So Pelosi and Schumer and Schiff and, and all the other dirty scumbags that were in various government organizations or still are. Okay. Yep. They can say whatever they want and they can say whatever they're saying now. Fact of the matter is they're dirty, they're corrupt. Yep. Okay. They're duplicitous on a good day. Okay. I'm just saying it it's so, but they're the ones that are encouraging. Yeah. What would otherwise be uh, street thugs, criminal activity that would have normally been rounded up yep. summarily, we wouldn't be going through all this stuff. And, and we, yeah. So, um, yeah. So whether it's part of the new world order, I don't know. I think that's been going on for a while. I think it is part and parcel of it. But yeah, no, that stuff. I mean, we all see it, yeah. you know. And, and, and well, there's no doubt that the new world order is a real thing. I yeah. just don't think it's by the same people that everyone thinks it's by. But oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> Well, and that's a good one because, I mean, I'm not sure either. I mean, you know, I, we all kind of hear, you know, who might be the nefarious organization that's behind all of it. But, I mean, who knows for sure, you yeah. know. And there's some new stuff that came out here fairly recently that talks about this one German dude that might be the guy that's behind Klaus, all of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, who knows? I, I don't know. And then well, they say, well, then it's the Rothschilds. Well, I mean, who knows? Maybe it's the yeah. Fords. I don't know. Well, Maybe it's Klaus, Kissinger. Klaus, yeah, I don't know. Klaus, Klaus is the Rothschilds. I mean, I can tell you that. Huh. Uh, you know, but but here again, I mean, there's so many different things that that when we're talking about this, and here again, when we look at when we look at at these liberal people that have been in, I mean, this this traces back all the way to Woodrow Wilson, right? He's the one who created the League of Nations, yeah. right? That that was the original United Nations, right? The League yeah. of Nations, and. There's no doubt in my mind that Woodrow Wilson was the most evil person that has ever been president of America. Everyone thinks we've got it so bad now. They don't even know. I mean, Woodrow Wilson was, uh, you know, he didn't even he didn't even run this country for the last two years of his presidency. His wife did. Wow. Right. And, and but I mean, he's the one who created the League of Nations. You know, I, I do happen to believe that 
the Rothschilds and uh, Klaus Schwab or whatever his name are. Yeah, Schwab. That was the yeah, other Schwab. one that came out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do believe that they are the real new world order. And I'll tell you, the only thing that bothers me is that I don't think that there's a good politician out there, you know, <laughs> and, and this is what I keep making a lot of my podcasts about is, is I, I don't think it really matters to me, Trump, you know, you can't be Donald Trump and not have connections to the Rothschilds. It's just, it's impossible. You cannot be a billionaire and not have those kind of connections. At least indirectly. Well, well, right. But I mean, we know that we know that Trump senior, right. Trump's dad, we know that when he was alive, we know that Deutsche Bank, well, and Trump Jr., we know that his number one lender is Deutsche Bank. Huh. Right? That That is the Rothschilds, right? I mean, that huh. is the Illuminati. Okay. And I'll tell you, I've been saying it for, I've been saying it for my entire adult life, probably 25 years now. I, I've, I've actually believed that Trump was the leader of the American Illuminati. And I've got, you know, various different research and stuff. You know, to, I mean, here again, I, I'm a Freemason, so I, I really spend a lot of time looking into some of this kind of, you know, conspiracy stuff and trying to figure out what's going on with who and all this other stuff. And it's like, man, uh, there's some things out there that people just don't even know. Well, let me <laughs> ask you, because I remember back even in the 80s when Trump was really starting to make a name for himself. And I forget the, the title of the book that he came out with, but you know, it, 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 it there, he came out with the book in the middle late eighties. Yeah. The art uh, of, yeah, no, I, I don't think it was the art of the deal. It might've been, it might've been, I remember it was a that was in the nineties. Yeah. Yeah. I, but this one was back in the eighties when he was still, you know, you see some of the oldest, some of the older uh, color photos, most of them were black and white, but of him, I mean, he really looked like a young dashing fellow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, and, and then, when he in the run up to the presidency, he had he he acknowledged and, and had some back and forth about, yeah, I used to be a Democrat and, and he would occasionally tell us why he, he got fed up and tired of the corrupt stuff and why he decided to become a Republican. So in your opinion, um, what what do you make of that? I mean, do you think he truly had a change of heart or do you just no? he's no? a populist? Everybody has to remember that Ronald Reagan was a lifelong Democrat, too. Hmm. Right. When he when he was governor of California, he was a Democrat governor. Hmm. And then when he ran for president, he switched over and became a Republican. And what it is, is here again, when we talk about how words matter. The definition of the word conservative is not it doesn't mean the same thing now as what it meant 50 years ago. Right. And a lot of people have adopted that just like the word liberal. Right. The, the word liberal was adopted by LBJ back in the 60s because originally the conservatives were the, they were the, the classical liberals, right? They, they were the libertarians. When, uh, when, when the civil rights movement started, you know, there wasn't a single Democrat that was on board with that, but LBJ still passed it from a Republican Congress because he knew how popular it was going to make him. Mm. And so that's when he started coining the phrase liberal Huh. And he literally stole that word from conservatives. And that's, you know, that's kind of where the switch happened, where where Democrats became liberals and, and Republicans became conservatives. Right. Mm. Even though technically conservatives were always classically liberal. Hmm. Interesting. Um, but what Reagan and Trump both did is, is they they're very, very smart. They're, they're populists. That's why they're populists. They're hmm. they're not Democrat. They're not Republican. They're they're populists and they 
promote the policies that are going to have the best results. So do you think that had the Democratic Party been in high esteem and favor by a majority of the American voting populace, do you think Trump would have stayed with the Democratic ticket? Well, no, but people seem to forget, you know, and this is kind of an interesting thing. Trump didn't win the popular vote in 2016 either. Right. No, he didn't. If every if everybody remembers, Hillary yes. Clinton actually won the popular vote. Right. Trump just he he won the electoral vote. Right. And we've seen that before in history. This is hardly right. the first time it's happened. Well, we saw that. So why Bush. did everybody get yeah. all bent out of shape over yeah. it? It's like exactly. it's not the first time it's happened, people. Well, but this is what I'm saying is is that everybody says that it's impossible for Trump to have lost the 2020 vote. No, he never won the popular vote, not even in 2016. It's just that this time he didn't have the same control over the over the electoral vote. And if he would have, which I don't understand why he didn't, but if he would have, he would have won the presidency again because the popular vote really doesn't matter. Um, but no, to answer your question, I, I, I think that, you know, I personally never understood why Trump never ran as an independent because hmm. to me, that would have been the key to actually breaking up our two party system and, and, and creating a, you know, three or four party system to where there was going to be a lot more, you know, possibility for independents and libertarians and stuff like that to actually be on a national or even a state platform. Hmm. Uh, Cause up, you know, right now we are stuck in a two party system and every time that one party tries to do something, you know, there's been so many flip flops on on just basic ideas i mean you know take take a take small government you know republicans used to be the party of small government but they are no longer the party of small government right <laughs> you know they they, they right. want to yeah i mean well um, that's i remember that was a big thing during the reagan administration and trump made it a big deal too i mean he he did far more than this but the one thing that he repeated throughout his tenure was uh for every new law we're repeating two that's what he, that's he knew that there be. were too many. Yeah. And he said he acknowledged he said there's there are just too many laws out there. folks. Yeah. We don't need them all. Um, but, you know, and I like the idea. I mean, independence, it seems like the independence, if you will, um, seem to be growing, maybe slowly, but they seem to be growing. People seem to be recognizing, understanding. But my fear, my concern, not fear, but my concern is that it's kind of like if you get a third party in there, now we've muddied the waters. And so now you need, you'll probably, unless there's an absolute majority and super majority in one of the parties, you're going to need two to get anything done. And then what happens if, if now suddenly we want a fourth party, you know, I, I, I'm just saying, well, it's, uh, I mean, two parties or three, whatever. I mean, I'm just saying three could still, it's one of those. I just look at it to keep it simple. Be careful what you wish for. All right. Okay. I mean, here's the only problem that I personally have with the two parties. I mean, we've got a three party system or four party. You know, we've got we've got <laughs> Greenpeace and we, you know, we've got this, you know, we have all that stuff. It's just that right. nobody ever takes any of them seriously. There's only two and, in Congress. Right. Well, three with the independents. Right. Uh, but they're, no, well, they're really not a party. They're not. I mean, are they official or are they just recognized? Well, they're official. I mean, like we could take like Joe Lieberman. Right. I mean, he was the independent congressman from Massachusetts, I think. Well, you know, I mean, I he was a, Lieberman. Yeah, yeah. He, he was a Democratic one point and then he went he switched to be a Republican and he didn't like that. So he ran as an independent and he won and he was he was an independent congressman for a long time. But I mean, the point is, is that the more choice that people have, 
the better decisions they're going to make. Because at the end of the day, people should vote for the correct policy. They shouldn't be so worried about which party line they're going to vote. For. No, I agree with you 100%. Right. It's, it's do what's right for the for your neighborhood do what's yeah. right for this for the city do what's right for the state do what's yeah. right for the country okay and, and your and policy is important because that's what drives all that stuff okay exactly and 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 all this executive order stuff i mean i remember a time when when again go back to reagan maybe even sooner maybe one or two administrations after that there were executive orders and and some of them not just a few of them either but yeah. most of them were kept quiet and most of them had to do with more or less true national security stuff that right. affected right. Um, the intelligence agencies that the, the yeah. defense department and the military units you know those that that's typically what they had to do with when they issued an executive order it wasn't you know for oil and gas production it wasn't for wearing face diapers it yeah. wasn't for keeping it at home you know and all the stuff that's going on that you know i think i this thought came to me, I think it was yesterday and again today. It's like, it seems like what they're aiming to do and what they're trying to do now with this great Ukraine distraction is, and, and, and this concern about the bio labs, they just exit stage, enter stage right, the bio labs, stuff leaked yeah. out. It's, they, they, they don't like it that we're out there starting to mix and mingle again, that we're doing what Americans do best. Yeah. Okay. Uh, because they've lost control over the direction that they're trying to take us. Yep. Okay. Well, in all, in all fairness, that's actually why the government hates small business owners so bad is because we are the, we are the biggest threat to them because we are the most independent people out there. Cause we don't right? just we're, say yes. Right. We're survivors. We're not, we're not afraid to go into the woods and live on our own for a year <laughs> or two. Right. Had to and, do and, that. <laughs> well, right. And, and, and that's what I mean when I say that the whole system and really, we can trace this back here again. We can go back a hundred years to the American uh, Industrial Revolution and Woodrow Wilson. We can we can see how how certain policies have absolutely destroyed certain sections of our economy, and how liberal policies have. have you know, I say it all the time. I mean, Russia. You know, they've been going through socialism and, and communism for the last hundred years since the Russian Revolution. They're getting further and further away from it, and we're getting closer and closer. Right to it. now, you know, think it, about that. I mean, just think about it, folks, for just a minute. I mean, that's yeah. think about what we what he just said. You know, I mean, when you think about Russia getting further away from it and us getting closer to it, you know. And I say, people, I said, you know, why would you believe Jen Psaki or Biden or Pelosi? Yeah. Anything that they're saying. To this yeah. moment, why would you said just look around, open your ears and open your eyes and see here and walk. You can see and hear and feel what's really going on. And then if you just if you keep that cognizance alive for a moment while you're listening and watching these idiots, you know that they're they're lying to you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're selling you snake oil, you know, yeah. and 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 if we can't vote them out, and I've said this many times. You better hope that what you're hoping for in 2022 and 2024 comes to fruition, because if it doesn't, what are you going to do? The, yep. Because, you know, I'm saying that's when. And I'm not I'm not. Uh, what's the words I'm looking for? I'm not uh, proposing this. 
but I see that that would be the moment when people realize there's no hope now. 2024 yeah. comes and passes, and it's everything still democratically and socially, New Green Deal uh, concentrated and, and controlled, and people realize it's lost, it's done. Then the only thing that's left is to either succumb to it, okay, or armed revolution. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I hate to say this too, but I really think that we're at a point way beyond being able to repair this through simple mm. voting. I really do. And, and I'll tell you here again, all anybody has to do to understand this is look at the Russian revolution and see how it all ended. Um, you know, you know, it's interesting because you made, you made a similar correlation with the stuff that the truckers were doing in Canada and what <laughs> they were starting to do in America. I yeah. mean, you know, a similar correlation there that, you know, it, it's like, too little, too late. You already bowed down and, yeah. and, 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 and did what they told you to do. Now you want to rise up, you know? Um, well, and look at, look at how it ended. Look at how they literally dispersed, right? I, I predicted that Justin Trudeau was going to bring in the police. I actually thought that he'd bring in the army too, but I predicted that he was going to bring in the police and that he was going to start arresting a few of them and that all the rest of them would chicken out and just disperse and look at what's happened. Right. Okay. Now, everybody's saying that, that, that laws are being changed in Canada because of the truckers. No, they're not. The Canadian government has doubled down, right? They're, they're, they're making a law right now. Justin Trudeau is making a law where every single Canadian has to be vaccinated by a certain date. Well, they were talking about that here. Uh, forget which news outlet. And I've heard it a few other times here, like in the last week, where uh, Biden or some or other people in this it uh government of ours at the federal level are talking about doing the same thing again yep. that they're yep. you know so don't think that they're that they they've given up okay because evil never rests it never stops it never does and right. here's the thing the canadian truckers it, it, first of all the only way to to stand up against tyranny is to simply not comply right yeah right? that that that's the way to stand you know that up is so fight. simple that I think it gets lost on so many people because you, we're not talking, we're not saying that the day won't come when we have to have a brave heart moment. Right. Okay. I'm just saying that in the meantime, well, you know, I, yeah, I watched no. it again recently, along with the Patriot and a few. Well, other movies, I'll tell man. you what, those, those truckers were not brave. Heart. <laughs> no, they I did I not stand up and fight. That's that's yeah. Well, it, it looked like they were going to, but they didn't. You're right. Uh, for whatever reason, the citizens and the truckers, uh, whatever their, their, their rationale and their, lo their, their logic was behind it, they didn't stand firm, okay? Oh. So the citizens didn't really have their back. Uh, it was a populist movement, um, but, you know, and I think they were probably victims of their own words because they were trying to be peaceful and peaceable and not cause any problems. They didn't want to do this and that because the government would then have a legitimate right. It's like, wait a minute, you know? If we're talking a peace now, Canada's different. It's not America. Right. In America, though, if it's a peaceful demonstration, that doesn't mean that if someone comes at me with a baseball bat, that the people that are peaceably demonstrating can't defend themselves. But as long as we otherwise have a peaceful protest, man, the Constitution is right there. I downloaded let me, let me say the Constitution, though. the Bill of Rights, and, and the other document, the, 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 the one that formed it all. And, and, and I haven't completed reading them all, but it is absolutely amazing. 
word for word. If you just read it at face value, black and white, it's right there. It spells it out. Everything they've been doing for the two and a half years has been wholly illegal. All of it. Right. But I want you to think about this. And, and this is something that I actually told my wife here a couple of days ago as we were driving back from Las Vegas. <laughs> Has anybody ever actually wondered or, or thought about the reason that we have a constitutional protection for peaceful protesting? Why we have that? Yes. Um. Yeah, but not 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 well, okay. for not for long. I mean, I, I haven't okay. really not I, okay. You know what? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So so let me explain this because most scholars don't even take this into consideration. The reason that we have constitutional protection and under our First Amendment for the freedom of assembly, right? The the, the freedom to peacefully protest is because peaceful protests never change anything. Hmm. Our founding fathers knew by giving us that, that constitutional freedom, that's a great thing to have. Anybody should be able to, to protest. But peaceful protesting does not ever change anything. Well, um, I, I got to, I think there was a time, and I don't know when it ended, maybe in the 60s, maybe which, in the 70s, the peaceful, peaceful protest went went. Well, okay, the most notable one, the one that's easiest for everyone to point at, and of course it wasn't really, I mean, they weren't peaceful, but that's the, the, the civil rights marches, the civil they rights. They were not, no, no, that's I, okay, the I'm, Okay, they the suffrage movement, peaceful. all of it. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, you know, all of this stuff, and, and there's plenty, there's, there's plenty that, you know, you think of them, you write them down, there's plenty of them. Um, but uh, no, I would agree that on paper, and theoretically speaking, and in a, in a, in a rational discussion amongst your peers and, and others that peaceful protests make sense. And, and I'm for peaceful protests. I'm for peace. You know, we're not warmongers, but I would agree with you that if you want to change something, peaceful doesn't work. And if the you want a way, perfect yeah. example and very recent history, just look at the last two years with yep. BLM and Antifa. Okay. Peaceful look at protests, that stuff. Yeah. Peaceful protesting does not change right. hearts and minds, and it doesn't affect law. You have to have some sort of disruption. You have to get people out of their comfort zone in order. Remember, this goes back to the you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink concept. Right. 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 So we have constitutional protections for peaceful protesting because our founding fathers knew that that's not really ever going to change anything. You have. <laughs> They were brave enough. Think about this. They were brave enough to have a revolution over a three cent tax on tea. Right. And it wasn't even a direct sales tax. It was an import tariff. Hmm. Our founding fathers were willing to disrupt, to unpeacefully protest <laughs> right. in order to defend their beliefs. Right? right. But also, but that I think, there's a there's another part that probably plays a larger role in that is that they felt that there was a level of tyranny because they were still they were free and independent colonies but they were still being controlled by great britain well anybody who protests anything that they're protesting obviously feels like they're being controlled by some tyrannical right form right, right or else right. they wouldn't be protesting just like right? our sons and daughters <laughs> exactly when they're in their 
tweens or teens or right, whatever. Right. Exactly. No, I get you. When, yeah. when, when they throw their little temper tantrums, <laughs> they think that we're being tyrannical, right? right. They, and right. that's why they're protesting. Right. But, but that's the point. A pe- and here's, here's the thing that I'm going to criticize white people for. Okay. Okay. We, going back to BLM and even back in the 60s with the Black Panthers and stuff like that. Which are still and, around, apparently. Well, they are. And BLM is just an offshoot of that. There's no okay. doubt about it. But they figured out very quickly through the civil rights movement that the only way to affect policy and to change law is to actually cause disruption. Hmm. Right? Everybody says that Martin Luther King was a peaceful guy. They obviously don't remember that the 60s had some of the most violent protests in, in world history. Right. And, and Martin Luther King never denounced any of those. Well, yeah. Uh, and then you'd have the people that we now liken to the liberals, but they probably weren't liberals. Maybe some of them were. They were saying, well, if the police hadn't gotten involved, if the National Guard hadn't gotten involved, sure. you know, you know, it's like, well, you know, but it's, it's isn't that the same BS story that Trudeau and Biden are using to crack down on us? You right. know. You know, exactly. saying, well, you can't do that. You can't disrupt traffic. You know, right. well, we've known that since I was a kid. You, you know, there's some things you yeah. just can't do. Okay. Right. But still, how far do you go? I would think that that moment, I forget the college, but that Kent incident with the National Guard shot the college students on the campus back in the 70s. I would think that that still would resonate today. Say, wait, right. you know, posse yeah. comitatus and all the rest of it, you know. Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> well, that's like Ruby Ridge, you know, I mean, yeah, you know, there's, there's oh, all kinds, you know, Waco, yeah. Texas. I mean, there's all kinds of examples like that. But but that is the point is that unless you're willing to actually cause disruption. Right. And unless you're willing to actually stand up to the police. See, this is why I say the Canadian truckers, they did the wrong thing by going to Ottawa. They should have been running right through the border. <laughs> you know, if they were truly brave and if they really, truly wanted to stand up against mandates, right. they should have they should just not have stopped. They should have ran right through the border. Hmm. And I mean that literally right. 30,000 trucks. They're not going to be able to arrest 30,000 truckers, you know, blowing straight through the border without right. stopping. Well, you know, and that's interesting because I used to say frequently and I still sometimes do when, when this kind of when it comes up in this kind of a, a discussion, it's like. I, I can't tell you how many times usually it was overseas, but sometimes here in the States, you see it. It's like, you know, there's only X number of us here. Yeah, yeah. We got weapons. We got this, we got plenty of ammunition, but look how many people there are. Yep. And, and, well, and, and I would little hair to stand up on the back of my neck. It's like, you know, if these people realized if they just came at us, there's nothing we can do. Oh, we'll get a few of them. Yeah. But, you know, it's the same thing. So I guess I guess part of my part of my uh, frustration or, or, or uh, inability to understand this is why people don't realize, you know, we say the strength in numbers, you know, and the, and that's for a reason. I mean, again, like you said, 30,000 truckers or the, they can't arrest them all, you know, yeah. and, and let's say only half the country believes what we do. So let's just say 150 million people. Are they are they going to shoot, detain, and arrest 150 million people? No. Nope. I'm just saying, you know. No, but 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 this, you know, there was an interesting comment on Twitter this morning by a person that I follow on Twitter, and uh, she made the comment that if men were just brave enough to be despised, then the world would be a whole much lot better place. <laughs> and that's a you know. 
I say this all the time. Evil only prevails when good men do nothing. Unfortunately, good men have been doing nothing for a very, very long time. Well, you know, I think you're right. And I think a lot of us, and I had this just last night or maybe, yeah, I think it was just last night again. It was like, and I think you and I, even before we started this today was uh, the numbers of guys that I've heard echo the sentiment is like, you know, whether they were in the military and they transitioned yeah. into contracting or they went over as contractors after X number of years, they come back. And by the time we all came home, it's like, what the fuck happened to my country? Yeah. In the 10 yep. or 15 years we were over there or 20 years, we were over there doing all this stuff. Yep. Okay. What did you people do to my, that we didn't recognize it anymore. It's like, what the hell? Yeah. And look, and, and so, so, and, and, and we're still banding about and, some of us kind of seem to agree with this stuff, but there's still a lot of guys and gals that still either don't want to acknowledge and figure it out, you know, kind of like uh, uh, that character in the movie um, Oblivion, um, right. where she says, he says, you know, there's something you need to see and she, or there's something you need to know. And, and she screams back, I don't want to know, <laughs> you know, and then just yep. a few seconds later, Jack, boom, she's yep. gone. Yep. You know, I'm just saying, you know, that's what I, I get that flash before my mind's eye frequently throughout the weeks and months. It's like, yep. it's like, you know, do, do, do 150 million or 200 million Americans really not see and hear what's going on? I mean, or, or are they just that scared and afraid for what they might lose and not have anymore? Well, you know, this goes back to the American Revolution, you know, only 3% of the the u.s colonies were actually willing to fight against the british in the in the u.s revolution um and some of them did lose their lives and their fortunes right i mean right. Uh, uh, so to answer the question the question the, the answer is i i don't know that america is ever going to be capable just just from the way that we're designed just just from the the luxuries that we have and the, the richness that we have um, the freedoms that we had, at least at one point, um, I don't know if the average American is actually capable of doing anything braver than what they do on a daily basis, right? Mm. I mean, we, we, we could look at self-employment rates. You know, I mean, we've only got about a 3% self-employment rate, right? I mean, we know, we know mm. the top 10% of this country pays 94% of the taxes, Hmm. Right. The, the bottom 50 percent of the of American citizens literally get back more than they even put into the system. Hmm. And it, this is all by design specifically to keep Americans complacent and, and, and to keep them to where they're not willing to stand up and fight because they they are afraid of losing everything. Hmm. And when you've never had to serve and when you've never had to work for what you got. You know, this all goes back to, you know, my wish that we had a mandatory enlistment, right, where every American male had to do, you know, like 18 months in, in military service. Um, you know, there's only three countries. That, well, I can't remember the number, but there's not very many industrialized countries who don't have a mandatory military enlistment. Hmm. Um, even Canada has that. Mexico hmm. has it, you know, but Germany has it. But I mean, that's what I'm saying, though, is hmm. America has literally become so spoiled and so lazy that there is no way for them to actually 
ever be willing to stand up and fight for what they have because they've never had to really earn it. Hmm. Um, It's a sad reality. And this is where I say that, you know, history always has the same type of, of effect where a country lasts for a certain amount of time and does very, very good. But then there's a mass migration to another country, right? I mean, America experienced, this is how America became America, right? Is, is people fleeing their countries, right? To, to get rid of religious persecution and political persecution. That's what made America. Hmm. And now we've gone full circle and we're starting, like I said, America's going closer and closer towards communism while Russia is getting further. <laughs> Russia's just experienced it for the last hundred years. They know what it is. Right. They know how bad of a system it is. Right. But America, because of our luxuries and because of our spoiledness and because of our, I mean, there's so many things that have contributed to this. Everything from, you know, uh, we could call it, you know, the breakup of the nuclear family. Right. I mean, that that's a huge thing. No fault right. divorces. You know, and my podcast revolves around a lot of this stuff. I, I, I hate to be one of these like manosphere kind of guys or, or whatever you call them. You know, I don't even know the name of some of them, but. MGTOW or whatever they're called, but there is some truth to some of that philosophy, right? Mm. I mean, America is really losing its way. We've lost God. We've lost, you know, political common sense, right? right? I mean, uh, what was the general who, uh, uh, what's his name? The guy that just came out and said that uh, Americans are too fat and lazy for us to ever have a draft. Wow. I didn't hear yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he said, uh, oh, it was about a week ago, some general, some retired four-star, he literally said that a draft oh, system. Oh, I think, yeah, I think I did yeah. hear that. But yeah, it's, he been, said, it's, been, it's been said in different ways by a couple other people, too. Yeah, he, yeah. Said that, he said that we could never go back to a draft system because Americans are so fat and so lazy Wow, that it would basically be pointless to even try. You know, according to a lot of statistics on the medical side, that might not be far from the truth. Well, right. I mean, America's what the second or third most obese country in the world now. And, you know, here again, I mean, the, the very few of us that did serve, you know, I mean, obviously we're put onto that pedestal like we're some kind of heroes because the truth is that the rest of the 97 percent of our society was given a free ticket. They were given freedoms that they never had to earn. Right. No, I hear uh, you. I agree, man. I agree. So in my mind, I don't know that there's any salvation for us. I think we're on a downward slope and I think we're going to be on that downward slope till, till, you know, we hit the bottom of the hill and that's going to be it. It could be. And there may not be a bounce back. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. I, you know, and, and this is where I say that, you oh, know, wow. to me, the, to me, the smart people are going to migrate to, to different places. Wow. Um, you know, I mean, I've got my little goal. You asked me about retirement earlier. Yeah. So I'm, I'm 42. I'll be 43 next week. Um, I plan on spending about seven more years until I hit 50. I, I plan on being hundred percent retired by the time I'm 50. I, I, sh if everything goes according to my plan, I should have at least three to, to $6 million saved by that time. I am planning on leaving America at that time. Hopefully, I hopefully we still have cash in America, right? You know, I'm just saying, because anyway, the, okay, so the, we'll we'll hold that off for the next one for another right, one. Right. So I, I gotta. So I the where I'm. So then the next thing is, and we got to wrap this up pretty soon. Um, but let me ask you for final thoughts, final input, final say from you uh, as we wrap this up. 
Go ahead. On what? Anything. Just some final thoughts, final input, okay. final, you know, takeaways, something for people to keep in mind. Okay. So here's what I'm going to say. And this might be a, a, a few parts <laughs> added in here. Uh, all right. So first of all, Epstein didn't kill himself. Number one. <laughs> uh, number two, I, I really think that people need to start paying a little bit closer attention to what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. I personally don't understand why so many Americans are so up in arms over Ukraine. Um, I've been to both places physically. I know people from both places. I do not think that Russia is the bad guy here. I, I happen to think that Ukraine has been kind of a pain in the ass for the last 30 years since the Berlin Wall has came down. Um, it's very similar to if America decided to invade Canada, literally, right? Canada cannot survive without America. They literally wouldn't even be able to feed themselves. America basically carries Canada on our backs, and it would not hurt the world if America decided to invade Canada and just make it all one big country, <laughs> right? It wouldn't hurt the world at all. In fact, it would probably make the world a better place. And this is exactly how I see Russia and the Ukraine. And apparently people don't remember uh, here again, going back to the Russian Revolution and going back to the Bolsheviks and going back to Stalin when he, you know, starved out, you know, 30 million Russians and Ukrainians. People obviously don't remember the stories of the Ukrainian villages that literally turned cannibalistic because they couldn't feed their own people. Right. So when, when the Soviet Union was formed, that solved that problem. And it really took care of all, you know, uh, all those little countries, you know, Poland is doing very, very well because they decided to get into NATO and did a, a couple of really smart things. But I don't see why so many Americans are trying to protect the Ukraine when Russia has been feeding the Ukraine for the last 30 years anyway. Hmm. Um, and I will say this. I will say that here again, people need to pay attention to real news that is not being portrayed. Even Fox News is lying about this. Because the simple truth is that if Russia really wanted to hurt Ukraine, that would be a very quick war. Again, it would be the same as America invading Canada. Right, if which Russia, begs the question why they're doing it. Because I've asked that question, why? Why well, is it taking so long? Why aren't they going in there with a heavy hand and just Well, because the they don't want to hurt them. They don't want to hurt them. They don't want to hurt them. They want well, I've them heard that, that, that the eastern part of Ukraine is predominantly Russian. Well, it whereas is. The Western, Obama, whereas the western well, half is primary, primarily German. Well, it well, is German ancestry. Well, mostly Polish, actually, but okay. All German, Hungarian, you know that whole conglomerate right there. It's all inter. I mean, that whole territory used to be Germania, hmm. right? Germania, and, yeah, yeah, right. And, and and you know before Poland and before you know like like a, uh, I mean there was a whole bunch you know like like Czech Republic, you know I mean there was a whole bunch of country Austria, you know that all used to be part of Germania, and here again. Russia, the reason that they're not just going in there and bulldozing over them, which they very easily could do, is because they don't want to hurt them. They simply want them to submit. It's a political game going on here. Mm. It really is. And people don't understand. Here again, if Russia really wanted to do damage, it would not take them long. It would be kind right. of like Desert Storm where, you know, Russia right. could roll in there in a day. And, and basically, here's the thing. Ukraine is heavily 
it, it, there's some uh, there's some serious corruption going on in the Ukraine. Hmm. Trump tried calling it out. Remember the whole thing? You know, the Ukraine yeah, is, I remember. You know, they're, yeah. right? They're the ones. Keep in mind that Russia, when, when, when Obama was president, Obama let Russia invade uh, Crimea, right? That's, that's like a quarter of the Ukrainian, you know, I mean, nobody was up in arms over that, right? right? Obama and Hillary gave Russia, what, 30% of our uranium or whatever? I mean, it, you know, mm. and, and so there's things going on here that nobody seems to understand. Most people don't know this. Or don't remember. Or don't remember. Most people don't know this, but over the last two years, over this whole COVID thing, Russia was one of the countries out there that said they're not going to allow vaccines into their country. There was no masks. There was no vaccines. And yet nobody ever heard of millions and millions of people dying in Russia. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I've never I've never believed that statistic here in America. Well, me neither. But the point is, is is that I, I would really encourage people to actually get away from all of the news outlets, including Fox News. And I would actually encourage them to start studying the, the politics and the history. Again, Russia, right now, Russia's rated as like the second or third best country in the world for small business startups. Hmm. Okay, here again, people don't realize this, right? Russia Russia has an enormous economy. It, it, it takes care of all of Europe's uh, natural gas and, and petroleum needs, hmm. right? I've never personally understood why America has always been Russia's enemy. I mean, here again, if you look at the history of like World War II and everything that happened, right? I mean, there, there's a reason. I mean, there's a reason politically why it happened. But now we're at a point where people need to start using some common sense and they need to start understanding why things in Europe are the way that they're... Europe is, Europe is done, most people who've never been to Europe, they've never been to Germany or England or France. Europe is done. Western Europe is, it, it, it's, it's almost, it's been completely taken over by Muslims, hmm. right? By Syrians and Turkish, you know, Iranians. I mean, Western Europe is done. Hmm. Uh, there is no way to, to regain Western Europe. Uh, Belgium, last year, Belgium in 2021, Belgium is the first European country to have a 51% majority Muslim government. Wow. Again, wow. until people, and, and this kind of goes back to this whole manosphere and this whole, you know, uh, masculinity thing. There are no real men left in Europe hmm. to protect their own country, uh. right? They, they, they've been so feminized and they've been so, emasculated and they've been so liberalized there's no men left to protect their own countries wow and you know so so when we see joe biden sending you know like three thousand soldiers from 82nd airborne over to (laughs) poland right and you know this you know you know because of your son and everything that's just not enough to fight a russian military of course not right i mean it's all it's all a dog and pony show right? right I mean, it's kind of like in Korea. I remember in Korea in 1997, I was stationed on the DMZ. And in 1997, uh, not Kim Jong-il, but his dad, Kim Jong-un, was, was still the president. Remember him. Right. And in 1997 is when they did their very first ballistic missile test, hmm. their ICMB ballistic missile test. And so we got put that. Now, keep in mind, the entire Korean peninsula only had at that time about 32,000 U.S. soldiers. So all of the army and a few Marine guys are all up on the, on the DMZ stationed on the, you know, firing point one area, you know, area one. 
and all the air forces way down in the southern portion of, of the Korean Peninsula. So all of us Army guys, I think they said in total there was probably, you know, maybe like 18,000 Army guys that were right on the DMZ. And Kim Jong-un shoots this missile, and the entire U.S. Army goes into 100% lockdown because we thought we were going to war. I think I remember that. Yeah. So, so, so this, is, this is during Bill Clinton. Uh, he was the president. So the general of 2nd Infantry Division, which is the division I was in, his name was General Dickinson. So he decides to fly to Korea from Fort, uh, from Fort Lewis, Washington, where second ID headquarters is at. And he gives us all this big speech. Now, now check it out. His dad was a Korean war veteran and his mother, general Dickinson's mother said that she would never step foot on Korean soil. So when general Dickinson flew from Fort Lewis over to uh, Korea, he took his mother with him. And getting off the airplane, she died. <laughs> Serious. Yeah, seriously. So she said she would never. Heart attack? With, yeah, something, anxiety, just old age, I guess. I don't know. I mean, wow. all we knew is that we were on complete lockdown, locked, cocked, ready to rock. I was, I was sitting on a mountaintop on firing point one, getting ready for a North Korean invasion. So you're talking 18,000 soldiers against a 10 million man army. Wow. <laughs> I remember and all the arguments and, and discussions that ensued when people started thinking about that. Wait a minute. Yeah, no. Um, yeah. General Dickinson came. We all had to go down to the main airbase and he gave a big, long speech about how we're really just by, by the time that the Air Force would have even been alerted, the North Koreans would have already ran over. The entire, <laughs> the entire DMZ, they would have ran over. Right. We wouldn't have had enough bullets to literally stop their numbers. Right. Well, even a hundred thousand man army against a 10 million man army, yep, exactly. I mean, even a hundred thousand to a million. I mean, we, you know, because the, the argument was long been made for a long time. I don't know if they make it anymore because the way they've, sorry, but they've pussified the military in the last few years. Yeah. Um, but even then, I'm, I still don't know that we would have had enough, even if they only had a million. The, the only way that we could ever defend against that would have been through nuclear, right. you know, nuclear weaponry. Right. Uh, even that, with our right. artillery and everything. I mean, the point is, General Dickinson, when he came and gave his speech, he told everybody, he was like, look, you are all just roadblocks. He's like, they will run over you within five minutes. But he said, you know, he gave the speech of it. You know, he said, you know, fight, fight, fight for free. He, he gave his brave heart. Yeah. <laughs> fight for freedom and stand up, you know. Yeah. And everybody felt bad for him because his mother died getting off the airplane and all this kind of stuff. Right, but, right. You know, and it, but, but it was a very emotional thing. And, and you know, right. it was scary. I mean, we thought. Oh, I'm sure. Literally. Yeah, it was. We thought, you thought it was going to be your day. Yeah, we thought that, I mean, we were ready. I mean, you know, the whole shebang was, you know, I mean, we were putting up trip flares and we were putting up Constantina wire. And, you know, it, it was, it was craziness. Wow. But my point is, is. Like a scene out of that movie, the green berets. Yeah. <laughs> you well, know, you fought a brave battle, but you were still overrun. Yeah, exactly. You know, but I mean, my point is, is that even in those days, right. our, our military just wasn't, we don't fight wars anymore to win wars. We haven't done that since World War II. 
right? Right. Vietnam Arguably was, Korea. Arguably Korea. Well, Korea. Well, Korea, if MacArthur had had his way, we would have. Right. I'm just saying. So that was that was well, ostensibly that and arguably the last one. Yeah, that wasn't a win or a loss. I mean, obviously the armistice was signed, and you know that that's it's been an active war ever since. I mean, right. most people don't know this. An active the, cold war. Yeah, well, an active active war, really. I mean, most people don't know <laughs> yeah. this, but but between Vietnam and Iraq, uh, the Korean DMZ was the heavily heaviest combat engaged area in the world. Wow. Um, you know, even today we still have combat engagement that goes on, you know. Every now and again, some North Korean will pop off a bullet or something, and it'll cause an entire little scrimmage. It's just that you never hear about it. You know wow. what I mean? But, uh. but this is what I mean. I mean, people aren't uh, – Americans just don't know what war is. Right. And so we've, we've become very accustomed to uh, – we've really gotten spoiled. We yeah. don't know. You know, I mean – the average American can't even envision the idea of what life would be like in a war zone because they've never experienced it. You know, the last right. war we've had on this continent was the civil war and nobody's alive, you know, now from that. But I mean, people have forgotten that freedom's not free right. and they've forgotten that war is not fun. No, but there's only one way out of this problem that we're in. And, and like you said, I think it's going to, it's going to take a revolution to get us out of this. It's not going to be solved by, by voting for Trump or right. know, anything. Like I think so. you might be, I think you might be right. Uh, you know, and I hate to say this, but we really need to close on this. Uh, but <laughs> I tell you what, man, this has been an absolute pleasure, an awful lot of yeah. fun. I want to have you back again. I know you're busy. You got stuff going on anytime. It's anytime. the weekend. So let me call you uh, next week. Um, call yep. you and uh, talk about some stuff and uh, we'll plan the next one. All so, right. Uh, for everybody who's listening again, that's, uh, that's Ken Gucci, Ken Gucci. Ken Gucci, that's it. Ken Gucci, yeah. uh, super patriot. Um, again, he's uh, with Wienerfied. Wienerfied.com is uh, his podcast um, at Wienerfied.com. Um, and also Rumble is his, your primary outlet after your website, right? Yep. All right. So uh, everybody, I want to thank you for tuning in uh, for this inaugural episode of season two of Oconus, the Contractor's Life. Uh, and again, an especially warm thank you to my friend and guest, Ken uh, Gucci. Also, an especially warm and gracious thank you to Kava Cohen for allowing Oconus to contract his life, the use of his song Heavy Clutch, the music soundtrack to Forza Motorsports 7. So that right, said, I appreciate Scott. I all appreciate right, man. It, man. Remember, right. folks, be careful what you wish for. You might get it. <laughs> Stay safe by staying frosty. Until next time, keep it real.